because Clark Kent's a journalist and he's a very good journalist. Now, Superman to all of his powers, Clark Kent actually has a Pulitzer. He had to write that, had to go to college. He became a full on reporter. He does his stuff, right? I mean, you got a full ride because he's Superman. Don't lie to me. Because you has got that. <laughs> Got that Cal L money or whatever. <laughs> Using that Superman cryptocurrency. You're right. Cryptocurrency. Sorry. Oh shit. That's good. That was terrible and I hate you for it. That's fair. That that is valid. I appreciate that. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about Gaming Theater Podcasts, giving a brief discussion over the legacy and the history of the Justice League Unlimited Universe, also known as the DCAU. Now, in order to get this started, I'm going to introduce ourselves to some of the guests that are going to help me get through this for us today. Now, I'm going to introduce myself once again. My name is Leo. I'm the Geek Scorpio. My name is Dane. I go by D and Dane on the internet. My name is Rob. Hey, I'm Eric, and uh, I like to go by Flying Tiger Kick as my uh, handle on the interwebs. Now, before we get started, let's take a quick trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Yay! Hey! Here we are at the Magical Merch Booth, and we have a couple of... Interesting games are being sold around there. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that are being worked on by you, Rob. Why don't you give us a little heads up on that? Yeah, uh, so not too long ago, put out a game called Green Reaper on Steam. This is uh, part of a project I worked on with my game team for three semesters at school. We're really, really proud of it. You get to play as Reuben, the protector of a little greenhouse, against invading mushrooms as they're corrupting the garden. It's a fun little adventure, and it's free, so it's absolutely worth your time. Yeah, and I'll make sure that there's some links on there to help get people to that Steam page. That being said, let us go get ourselves back to the show. So today's episode is going to be about Justice League Unlimited, and it is probably the best superhero-based genre series that's out there, or at least one of the best. It's a top contender against things like what, 90s uh, X-Men, Spectacular mm-hmm. Spider-Man. But this one has done more for the genre than most people suspect just because of how it's developed. So let me start at the beginning of the beginning of this. Back before the 90s, when we have the whole oh, revolution of animation, and we've done episodes on that in the past, what happens is that there's things for licensing uh, comic book characters can be animated is not something new. Like Death goes, it dates all the way back to the 30s with the uh, Fleischer films that are done for Superman. Now, with that being said, DC and wanted to keep putting their stuff into the sphere of animation. Now, what DC does is that they wanted to develop different cartoons aspects. Keep in mind, in the 60s and 70s, the biggest influence to the DC universe at that time is 1960s Batman. And which is campy and cheesy and fun for all ages. Now, they take that little aspect and they turn it into the, the Batman and Robin cartoon. And they have their fun little Avengers and a, and a weird little side story with Scooby-Doo, which is hilarious to me. Crossovers will be important for this. At some point in the 70s, they have Super Friends, which is basically the Justice League for animation, which I always love the intro because it says, here's Superman. 
Aquaman, Batman, and Robin. They have to put them together. Yeah, it's a package deal. Um, Wonder Woman and whoever not one of those characters for the that's now added to this one show. In fact, it gets crazy alternating. So there was like the Wonder Trend started in there. Then when the series gets picked up again, a couple of seasons later, uh, Cyborg comes in. They have not exactly Black Lightning for some reason. Apache Chief. They have Cyborg in the Super Friends? In the last iteration of the Super Friends, uh, Cyborg was one of the characters that they added in there. Really? Wow. Literally was going to ask the same thing. I don't remember Cyborg at all on that. I don't either. I thought, oh, yeah, he totally did. Wow. On honest, I'm most surprised to hear that it went on for multiple seasons. Because um, I I do not remember watching very much of Super Friends, even, even as a kid. I was like, man, the show sucks. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> well, yeah. then, by the time we were watching it, it's like, what, 20 years old at that point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's, that's, that's a little before my generation, our yeah. generation, really. Because we just see the reruns on, like, Toonami. We see them on mm-hmm. Boomerang. That's how bad it gets. Yeah. So... And that's actually kind of an important note. It's not that great. One of the big issues that they bumped into is Justice League stories and stories for comics in the 70s and 80s were a lot darker in tone. And they had, you know, adventures dealing with people who are getting shot, people who are getting injured. You know, Crisis on Infinite Earths is a thing. It's a little thing. So all those big world-changing events, because of how the censorship is done in there, they can't do it. There was one comment from one of the writers, which is an excellent, uh, which I wish I could remember, but essentially he wrote that write an episode of the Super Friends. Some of them get shrunk to, you know, ant size. Oh no, an ant's in there. And he writes in there to put the ant under the glass, have them throw the glass over the side. And due to the censure, they had to add in a scene to make sure to see the, the ant walk away so everyone knows the ant's okay. No killing bugs on television. Otherwise, children might go mm-hmm. out and kill bugs. Or something to that. No, they'll get sad. It was because uh, they could be sad because uh, they recognized that the bug would be would have died. Well, I know that this is a little bit beyond the scope of what we're talking about, but I do find it really interesting in terms of the history of animation, which is another podcast mm-hmm. we've done, I know. But where you've seen these through lines carry forward. So, you know, I'm getting with the super friends I always have, but I'm especially in this conversation, I'm getting big Herculoids vibes, right? Yep. Uh, where you have this super team and this week they have to fight a giant ant or next week they have to fight, you know, like a, a crazy dude in a costume. Like it does kind of like follow similar thematic elements. And I think that's what they're oh, interesting. Yeah. And so like they have to, to, because of so much of that, you have, Characters who can't even use 90% of their power sets because it's too, it, it could be too considered too violent for TV, mm-hmm. which just seems awkward and odd. It's also kind of where we unfortunately get the trope that Aquaman sucks. If anyone's ever read comic Aquaman or even in the Justice League universe Aquaman where he's more of a Viking, good lord, Aquaman can go toe-to-toe with anybody if he wants to. Not Super Friends Aquaman. Basically cocks to a fish and calls it a day. Well, because... Remember that comics had already sort of been through the ringer on censorship. You know, there was there was yeah. a more Guardian panic and comics had to start censoring themselves. And it took a really long time for them to start branching out into more adult themes. And like, I think the biggest one of the biggest things was comics were self-censored. It was like the industry of comics had decided we have to censor ourselves to not freak out the moral guardians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were sort of in control of what that censorship was. That's not the case for television. 
television had sensors from third parties and they had a lot stricter guidelines. So it wasn't something you could just kind of do yourself and decide where to draw the line. Someone else is drawing that line for you. That That is true. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the Comics Code Authority, right, Rob? Formed in yeah. 1954. Okay, and you're right. Yeah, that was that was a self governing body. So then, with television, a lot more oligarchic uh, entities came into play, and it sounds like that there's a lot of lobbyists in favor of the censorship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Ugh. Well, keep in mind these shows are coming out in the you know 60s, 70s, maybe early mm-hmm. 80s. Yeah. And you know this is. You know, to reference another pivotal moment of television, you know, the first interracial kiss in Star Trek uh, was scandalous for its time because that just wasn't done, right? Uh, So in kind of a similar vein, I think that comics and comic book properties at this time, you know, you don't get any, you know, uh, gritty, dark Batman. It's, oh, hang on, old chum, I'll save you. You know, it's it's very like... Mm -hmm wholesome in its like it's silly yeah weird rigidity oh, oh no well it looks like that oh what is it there was some meme going around where lex luther steals 40 cakes and that's bad yeah <laughs> what is it you know i might i might go out on a, on a limb here and while i agree that aquaman is not as bad as he is in the super mm-hmm. friends uh, in the comics i don't know that i agree he could go toe-to-toe <laughs> this, that's a topic for another day i know but <laughs> But, like, let's be honest here. Comparatively, though Aquaman is skilled at what he does, he still kind of sucks. <laughs> he still... Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I mean, like, you know, like, Rubber Man or, or whatever. It's just like, yeah, like, you're good at what you do, but, like, stick to the ocean. It's fine. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, but that's mostly just because it's hard to do a really engaging and interesting story that is set underwater on a regular basis. Like, yeah. you could do it once... Um, but when you have to like come out with a new story every month about here's my underwater guy, it's just like it's not going to be able to to hold interest for very long. Yeah, you know, like Atlantean sorcery, really cool. Black Manta, super dope villain. Mm-hmm. Like he's menacing. He looks scary. He shoots eye lasers. Like I can get behind that. And I will say, you know, Atlant like sort of Atlantis hook hand mm-hmm. Aquaman is, in my opinion, the better of them. Oh yeah. But at the same time, right, like. Oh no, they're going to cause a tectonic shift underwater and I have to solve it using my my Atlantean powers. And like that's compelling as as Rob said the first, you know, handful of times before you're just like, okay man, like what what what's the what's the villain of the day going to be here? You know, are you fighting Seahorse man? Are you fighting, you know, the the starfish kid? Like what what are we dealing with it's here? It's always weird when someone looks at a comic book character's rogues gallery and you realize like Batman's got the Joker and Mr. Freeze and and the Penguin, uh, Rachel Ghoul is a global, you know, eco terrorist. But he also has the Condiment King. Yeah, that's true. Calendar, Calendar Man. Man. <laughs> What's his deal? I don't know. He just likes numbers, dates. Oh. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Good. Good for him. You know, Rogues Gallery in in superhero are always interesting. You know, one thing I like to make fun of a lot is that Spider Man fights animal themed villains. I like. You get some winners, right? You get, you know, the rhino. He's pretty cool. You get Craven the hunter, which is not technically an animal, but he's, you know, hunting other animals. He's animal themed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you've got a freaking vampire for reasons. Uh, and then there's like the vulture. Yeah. He's just a guy with a wingsuit and likes birds. That's about it. <laughs> he's evil. You know, 
Well, not to detract too much, but... <laughs> no, but it, it does make a point. One of the last episodes yeah. of the Super Friends era was... Cyborg's a major character in Teen Titans. And people don't even remember he was in an episode of Super Friends. And this particular episode had to deal with, like, Darkseid, who was toned down to, like, no end. There's n- And Darkseid's a major villain in the just in DC Comics. Mm. Oh, hold on, Geekscorber. Are you saying that the guy who wants to solve the anti-life equation was toned down for children's syndicated television? In the 80s? Yes. Uh, oh, you could take a nerf weird. bat to that guy and he'll go down. He wanted to solve the not very nice equation. <laughs> not very nice. The, the less nicer equation. Turns people grumpy. He wanted to solve general math. That's literally like his whole shtick. <laughs> okay, but like real talk, that would have been an absolutely brilliant villain for a children's show because what kid likes math? Oh, I, st- I'm okay. an adult yeah. and I still hate math. <laughs> Boy, the ratings for that plummeted so bad is why they cancel it. In fact, um, it's not one Super Friends show. It's like they keep throwing it to a different animation company and they're like, I don't know what to call this. We'll call it Super Friends because that's what we did last time. And so it goes off the air for a few years. And then we get to 1989. A big change in the comic book industry is a particular film that revolutionizes everything. Batman 1989. Mm, Tim Burton's yep. Batman is amazing. And people don't realize the hype train to it. There were people around that time which would go to movie theaters, buy a ticket, to see the trailer to Batman, and then leave. What? For real? For real. Uh, Joe, that's how much hype they had with the 89 Batman. Oh my god. <laughs> well, and remember, you couldn't see a trailer on the internet back then. No, you're, you're, you're right. You, you, you really couldn't. Therefore, you, you had to spend like 2 or $3 of your hard-earned allowance and, you know, ask mom to go to the theater for five minutes. <laughs> that's the thing. I'm here for five minutes. All right. Keep the car running, Mom. I'll only be a few minutes. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just go in and out. Damn. But, um. Man, Gen X went hard. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, the reason why that's important is because we move on to the 90s. And what happens is, and we've talked about it before, Bruce Tim pitches the idea of them doing a um, Batman show. And he they gave him a, co- a couple of weeks and a small budget to see about making the just an animatic, something as a pitch idea. And he makes the mm-hmm. intro to Batman the Animated Series. And it was so good, they just like cleaned it up a little bit and made it into the intro for the entirety of the series. They did, yeah. We have Danny Elfman to thank mm-hmm. for that. And they took elements from three big sources that they wanted to for, for Batman. One, they wanted it to be, like, his idea was to make it that it was a noir piece. 30s, so everything in Gotham looks Art Deco on purpose. In fact, if you ever see any kind of weird like sci-fi technology, even though they have like super powered lasers, their TV screens are still black and white. You're right. So it was almost like a future past. And that's not an exactly uh, a new concept. Uh, Fallout does that. I mean, Fallout the uh, game series has technology that is crazy that's out there. Like, you know, a stim pack that can heal you from basically any wound ever. However, you know, I still have an an old black green monochrome LCD. We couldn't get past that technology. So I know that we're talking about animation here largely today. Yeah. Uh, but I did find something out the other week and doing a little bit of research on this uh, that I think is interesting to share, if I may. It's, it's about the live action DC properties. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this, and maybe other people have already known this, but from what I've read, uh, I guess when the Adam West Batman series was popular, um, DC sold the rights 
to the Batman live action series to a little, you know, small indie company by the name of Fox. So Fox, to this day, from what I've seen, still owns the rights to Batman live action, which is why we get shows like the CW's Arrow, Mm -hmm. where if you know anything about Oliver Queen, who's my personal favorite DC superhero, uh, he does not ever act, almost never acts, you know, serious and brooding like he does in the CW Arrow show. And from what I've read on the internet, the theory is that because DC doesn't own the rights to Batman in terms of a live action adaptation, they just took another character who was quote unquote close enough (laughs) and just adapted him to be more like Batman. Oh yeah. Uh, You can also see this in the Heroes of Tomorrow. I think it's Ray Palmer is his name. Yeah, the Adam. Uh, They wanted Ted Kord, basically the Blue Beetle, um, which that new movie looks absolutely legit. Oh, yeah, the new uh, Blue Beetle. I want to see Uh, that. But they wanted, you know, the original Blue Beetle. I think he's the original Ted Cord, or he's the second. He's the second. Ted Cord is the second Blue Beetle. Okay. So they wanted, you know, one of the older Blue Beetles, not Jaime Reyes, uh, but they couldn't couldn't afford the rights to their own character. So they just turned uh, Ray Palmer into basically a Ted Cord-like character, even though in the comic books, he's not normally that way. Mm -hmm. And I just find that interesting that, like, Marvel technically owns the rights to a Batman live-action series. (laughs) Huh, Marvel, yeah, Marvel I mean, has, has purchased Marvel, you know, and, that's yeah. on brand for Disney. Brand. Yeah. Oh boy. So like I don't know. I, I just I find that interesting that like you get these sort of weird edge cases, right? Like with the super friends, where like, oh, this is a superhero show, but they can't do anything that they normally do because that's too violent and too weird. Or like, oh well, we can't make a Batman show. You know, Gotham is a pretty prime example. You've got a young Bruce Wayne, and I think at the end of that series, you see him in the cowl once. And it was my understanding that that was like a negotiation between companies being like, hey, come on, like, let us do one scene. Let us have him in the Cape of Cows. That kind of makes sense. We, let, let us have this. We, we just need it once. And they're <laughs> like, okay, once, but you, he can't be in it the whole time. We don't want, we don't want that. And like, okay, you got it. Um, so yeah, you get these sort of like weird edge cases, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, well, we can't do Batman. No, this guy's an archer. That's kind of like throwing things at bad guys. That's close enough. It's it close enough. Oh, what was it? Yeah, it was a big critique because a lot of um, villains, if they uh, show up in more than one rogues gallery, they can be mm-hmm. technically used. They uh, have to be negotiated away, but they can technically be used in more than one canon that way. Interesting. So something like the Legion of Doom, right, where they mm-hmm. kind of cross over a little bit. Yeah. Or for an example, one of the best Spider-Man cartoons out there, the spectacular Spider-Man, does not have the Kingpin in. Hmm. because kingpin is technically due to a thing in the 70s is referred to as a daredevil oh okay yeah all right oh interesting and so they replaced it with a tombstone instead you know i mean that does kind of make sense on both ends it's it's a shame but yeah but yeah so this is a thing that does happen so here's the nice thing about this so as far as dc's animation property they're not the juggernaut yet this is the early 90s. They're not the juggernaut. In fact, they're, they're, all these things have been shelled. They're about to be. They're about to be. <laughs> so after that, DC sees the, the promo and they're like, we've got to go full throttle on this. Now, the nice thing about the 90s is that censorship things change to a point that they basically did as much stuff as they could to get around the censors as possible. And their biggest fight was just to have actual guns and firearms in there because Batman's going to dodge bullets. He needs bullets to show up. Mm, that's a fair point. I guess I didn't really ever think about that. You know, even in the 90s with, with certain other animations uh, where, you know, we've imported them from another country or somebody else is doing a vision. 
we do see a lot of censorship in that regard. You know, I know Yu-Gi-Oh is a prime mm-hmm. example where all the guns are edited out. So to do this, you know, years before then is quite remarkable. I can imagine they had one hell of a fight on their hands for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, normally what you see in in these shows is they don't use guns. They use laser guns, Blasters. which seems like a really pointless distinction in my mind. But whatever makes the Moral Guardians happy. Go the Star Wars route. Yeah. Uh, but, like, even after Batman the Animated Series, other DC cartoons still had to use laser guns instead of real guns. Mm-hmm. But they wanted it because mostly it, they wanted to make a noir show for children. And yep. Bruce Timm's thing about it was kids are smart enough. This is not going to be over their heads because they also got a lot of pushback for just setting it in the 1930s in the, in the Art Deco thing. Really? Why? Do you know? It, that's not a censorship. That's a producer problem. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, I was like, some some fat cat board members like, I hate the 1930s. Ah. And um, they just think that it might go over kids' heads, and he's like, no, 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 we got this. It's cool. Honestly, I think that was the biggest reason Batman the Animated Series was a success. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, kids aren't dumb. Yep. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, they're they're kind of dumb, but they're they're not like all wanting these these happy bright colors you know they want more complex more serious stories and they weren't being given mm-hmm. that yeah you know the the early yep. 90s is when this finally started coming to the point where actually we're going to have cartoons with serious ongoing plots that are, are more complicated and you have to keep up because we think kids can handle that and so all these kids that had wanted those things that but weren't getting it now we have, here's one show that's doing it. Here's Batman and the Animated Series. They're doing it. Holy crap, that's awesome. I want to watch that and all these other cartoons can suck mm-hmm. it. Well, it turns out they were right, you know? Yeah, and, and, and like, if I recall my history correctly, like, Batman the Animated Series was one of the first that really did this. Um, and to your point, Rob, uh, a lot of shows back then were just sort of Saturday morning-esque monster of the week sort of thing that was very lighthearted and absolutely campy whereas batman the animated series well bruce wayne's parents died at a very young age and that is the topic that they explored in this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as opposed to just some guy going through his adult life with zero problems they actually explore the trauma of a man losing his parents and how this does actually affect him in his adult life as he's navigating his way through through the world with a double identity, which that double identity is absolutely a symptom of chronic post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder. Mm-hmm. And to see that even a little bit explored in a children's show is, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and to kind of piggyback onto that, right? You know, you see how it affects his relationships. You know, um, <clears throat> I remember that eventually, you know, Catwoman shows up and they kind of like have a back and forth for a while, kind of similar to Black Cat and Spider-Man in the old, in the Spider-Man animated series as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see as they kind of become a little bit closer, if my, if my recollection is correct, um, you know, they, they start to get a little bit closer and then there's inevitably always this wedge that drives itself between Selena and Bruce. Uh, and yeah. it's not, that's not the only time you see it, right? You also see it with uh, a lot of his other relationships as well. But I, I do think that's actually really fascinating. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the quick three, big three things uh, on this one. One, they wanted to make a noir TV show. Two, they wanted to make explore topics that were, were adult themed because that was one of the biggest problems that they had with Super Friends is that 
it was kind of schlock Saturday morning TV. They wanted to make a real story. They wanted to explore these stories. Um, and the third thing is they wanted to make sure that it was just at the line of, of censorship because they knew where the lines were. And so they tried to avoid it. But you can push that edge and get an amazing series of stories on it. In fact, when we're talking about this, a particularly big episode that happens in the first se- season is called Heart of Ice. Mm-hmm. The Heart of Ice is an epi- is a Mr. Freeze episode, but it's the origins of Mr. Freeze. What people forget is that Mr. Freeze was just an ice-themed villain until now. Yeah, I mean, he was he was kind of a holdover from the campy days of Batman. He wasn't a particularly serious villain. He was a bit of a goof. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say, too, it's kind of interesting. I think that uh, you, you see these themes happen a lot, right? So, like, ice-themed villains is pretty common in the DC universe. I think there's, like, six or seven separate ice entities out there running around. Yeah. Um, but they've really done a, a remarkable job, I think, since, you know, the animated series, since the new comics have been coming out, that, like, there's a difference between them. They're not all just like, oh, I'm evil and I'm I, I shoot ice. You know, you've got Captain Cold, you've got Mr. Freeze. You know, and both of those characters, as examples, have drastically different motivations and drastically different backstories. Mm-hmm. They're both still, you know, evil. Yeah, they're they're, they're doing crime. It's not a good thing. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. So, like, and kind of want to explore this episode real quick on this. Things that happen with this episode is that Mr. Freeze comes to the town to basically get revenge on a corporate guy who thought that, and this is very today's, who didn't want their company to keep spending money on an experiment that is keeping Mr. Freeze's wife, Nora, alive. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I remember this. Yeah. So they come down to shut down the, the cryogenics project that's on there. It turns Dr. Freeze into Mr. Freeze. And it, Nora is hanging onto a thread from uh, a, basically a like a suspended animation chamber that he whipped together real quick. Is this the one with the rose petals? Um, I don't. I have this like visceral memory of Mister Freeze like looking at rose petals, like a frozen rose or something like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm conflating it with a different or confusing with a different different thing. But uh, like the the intro scene, or maybe it was the the final scene, was him in a jail cell, and he was holding this this little. It was like a ballet dancer, a ballet dancer oh, in a snow globe, uh, encased in like in this little glass globe. case. Okay, I remember the the glass case, and I guess, I think I'm confusing it with like Beauty and the Beast. I was just yeah. You know, like that, 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 it was basically the exact same glass case from Beauty of the Beast, except this one was holding a little statue of a ballet Mm -hmm. dancer, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, 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 that makes sense. Meanwhile, Batman has also gotten a a cold, he's he's human, he just gets a cold, and he realizes he has to go hunt down Mr. Freeze and stop him because he's trying to destroy all these properties and such. One really intense moment in there is Mr. Freeze catches the guy who who was in charge of shutting it down and he starts freezing and encasing it in, in ice and the corporate schlock basically starts begging for his life because Mr. Freeze is going to kill him and then he stops for a second and just tells him you're begging? Did you listen to me when I begged to not shut down my project to keep my life alive? Where was your heart then? Oh, that's deep. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's layers to that. But Batman comes in, manages to save the day, and with all those layers, it's a throwaway line that's in there. But Batman, when they're arresting him, tells him to keep the 
the cell at this special freezing temperature for it. And this is sort of a take where they have with Batman. Yeah, he's much more violent than the Super Friends days, and he is a lot darker and grimmer because they wanted to explain one of the themes they wanted is grim dark and get to that way. But right. Batman's also sympathetic. He he can be jovial. He can be happy. He can also have all these other range of emotions on it. Yeah, I I, I think on the subject of sympathetic, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd even go so far to say empathetic, is that he he's he's experienced loss, and I think that the I, I mean if, if if I remember my lore correctly, that's like his number one reason for having a a, a no kill policy for himself is is partially because of the loss that he experienced throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing that he would want to do is have somebody else experience what he had experienced yeah. of no fault of their I own. I mean, ultimately that's Batman's sort of credo. He doesn't want to have another person to experience, as he puts it, a punk with a gun that just shows up and destroys his life. Oh, what was that guy's name? Zaz? Something like that? Not Zaz. The the, the one who, it's, yeah, uh, something. His, the, the shooter's name is Joe Chill. Joe Chill. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was kind of a big theme of the show, too. And really, of Bat- the Batman series as a whole, the vast majority of Batman's rogues are people with mental trauma. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, someone who's been through the ringer, and now, and now they're crazy, and they're acting out because of it. And so Batman's coming in, and he's... I mean, it's, it's a stretch to say that he's helping them, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he's doing it by punching them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Batman's kind of the bad guy. Like I love Batman. <laughs> I, I think Batman's amazing, right? But like, this dude is sad. His wife's, you know, possibly dying and is trying to save her, which I think is a kind of a, a mm-hmm. uh, understandable position, even if he is doing it, you know, the the wrong way mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Like what he's really trying to do is minimize the damage that they cause as they're dealing with their trauma. You know, there like you go. Bat, in in that episode, Heart of I, Batman recognizes that the CEO that shut down this experiment and tried to kill Mister Freeze's wife was a bad person who needed to be jailed, and he does in fact bring the evidence to the police, and then the guy gets arrested. Um, but at the same time, he's trying to prevent Mister Freeze from killing him because that's not going to be helpful for Mister Freeze mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. One. So, why do we talk about this episode? This is the third episode to air. This isn't even the fir- the you know season finale. This is episode three that pops up. Wow. And oh, wow, immediately it wins the an outstanding award for animation in the case of writing for uh, for dramatic writing. Well, and if I if I remember right, it wasn't even necessarily for an animated program, right? It was just, in general, outstanding writing. In general, it was outstanding writing, but it's uh, it got moved to, um, they started animation as a as a thing that year, too, so it got moved down to animation. Wait, so, sorry to interrupt, so was was that episode the reason why they created the subcategory of animation for Emmys? Uh, kind of. The Emmys and a lot of awards, what happens is that, and we've talked about, touched this before, at the time there just wasn't enough animation to run around to give an award for it. So like in the fifties and sixties and such, there was Hanna-Barbera and Disney and they make maybe make two or three uh, cartoons a day. There's not a whole lot of by the eighties and such. There's tons of animation that are going out. So then they started to open it up like video games have now started to, there's a Grammy category for video games now, but video games have had music since the eighties, but at this point in time, animation started to open up into Emmys and other awards and other 
things. This is one of the first ones that got an outstanding writing award, and it was put in for drama. Keep in mind that this is thrown out to animation, but it kept up with soap operas, full dramatic series, romance movies, all of that, and it managed to beat them all out. Mm. This isn't the first award it's going to win. This is just the earliest one that they win. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of which, one of the things that they do is that they sort of tweak each character because they understand the mythos. Rustium and his team understand the mythos of the series, the way it's supposed to be to go. In fact, a lot of the writers and such end up working for DC, writing DC stories for different things. Paul Dini, yeah. for example, writes a ton of different stories. Now, why this is important is because, again, Mr. Freeze started off as an ice villain, but now he's got this sympathetic big backstory that makes you understand what his means and motives are. He's not the only like villain that gets changed and adjusted around. There's certain characters that get adjusted around really crazily. Clayface has got a crazy story where he's an actor that gets so desperate that he tries an experiment to basically mold his face, and it just becomes um, a story on addiction because he's so addicted to fame Whoa. that he ends up um using a, you know, gets overloaded on this but he gets well now in in the cartoon it was a literal addiction yeah. um because he was he was in a car wreck or something like that and it destroyed his face so he was disfigured but he, they someone had come out with i think it was daggett daggett industries, industries yeah if i remember right but they so they had this cream that you could put on your face and it would let you mold your face into any shape that you wanted and he was using that in his acting but it had addictive properties he had to like keep getting it even when he didn't need it for his job because he was addicted to it and eventually it turned him into clayface when he got overdosed yeah, on and it I think daggett overdosed ah. him in the series yeah they he intentionally did it uh like as punishment because he wasn't able to keep paying or something mm -hmm. like that yeah also that's a side note until uh, this series came out, I didn't. Re I thought Batman had a ton of like villains that were just you know your comic crazy villains. No, Batman has a lot of just simple mob bosses and corporate. Uh, I said he has to take down. Daggett's one of them. Uh, Rupert Thorne is the other one I can think of. Penguin is basically one. Penguin's basically one, but he has an umbrella theme. <laughs> and birds and birds um but yeah uh probably one of the most famous notes is harley quinn harley quinn is literally is created for the series yeah an original character to the animated series mm -hmm. but she got so popular that she ended up getting at for added into the comics and she's not the only one renee montoya mm -hmm. from gcpd gets added in there and uh one of my favorite the episodes in Batman the Animated Series is um, it's an episode by the, with the Riddler in it, and they contextualize the Riddler as basically somebody who wants to prove that he's smarter than everybody else. He's obsessed with that, and he builds a game called uh, the Maze of the Minotaur, and it's this popular game. But the guys who work for the company, game company that he was with, they take it from him and exclude him from all the rights. Uh, one year later, he comes back and just decides to build a whole puzzle just to put him on there because of a comment that the that the corporate lawyer that helped steal all of his stuff, he once told Edward Nigma, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? And he's like, all right, fine. Apparently, they were working on building a live action maze that you could just go through, except he turned all the puzzles in there to lethal. 
Oh. Ooh. And um, I got to give credit to the writers. A good puzzle-like story has to have puzzles that you are intrigued with, like a legitimate puzzle. So, like, one of the puzzles in there is there's three keys, and Batman and Robin are there trying to figure out how to get past this puzzle. And one's labeled A, one's labeled B, and one's labeled C. And so they take the A key because they don't know what they're doing. So take the A key, put it in there, and two blades come out. He goes, all right. And two blades come out. They barely dodge that. All right. So let me go grab the B key. And then Robin just all of a sudden tells him to stop. Don't take it. Take the C key instead. And it turns out it's a pun on sharps. <laughs> it's a music pun. And they do that all over the place in this entire episode, which is why Riddler episodes are really amazing to me. And sadly, they don't do a whole lot of them. I do find it a little bit interesting because it, like this, it does feel like a Riddler, you know, with the, the quiz and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like kind of a, a, a toy maker. Yeah. Uh, one of his other, you know, rogues gallery. My brain died. I'm sorry. Uh, that's my <laughs> toy maker is actually um, Superman villain. Is he? Yep. Oh. I I always kind of felt like Riddler was was the toy version for or the toy man for mm -hmm. Batman. Yeah. But maybe it was that Toy Man was the Riddler for Superman. I'm honestly not certain which came first. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So one of the things with it is by the end of the episode, Batman saves the guy, the lawyer that's about to be killed by the 15 foot tall robot Minotaur. He saves the lawyer, he gets it out, and Riddler just leaves a message to him. He goes, well, by the time you've figured out how to get past that puzzle, I'm gone. I'm in Bermuda. See ya. And he leaves. And that's a thing that you don't think about, but it pops up a lot. Sometimes these villains get away to live another day. And the thing is, the Riddler's gone. The Riddler comes back in another episode to screw with Batman because he loved the challenge. And one of Batman's villains in here, Ra's al Ghul, they, to someone so obsessive and so... Um, powerful that they did his storyline really well yeah, like the the racial ghoul storyline honestly felt different as a kid mm -hmm. when i was watching that it you know you had the regular batman plots and then here's the thing with racial ghoul and this is something totally separate just like the the attitudes that the two had the way that the story was going race always treated batman with like the utmost respect always referring to him just as detective everyone else called him batman but race refers to him as detective because he he recognizes what batman's real greatest strength is i think it's interesting too you know going a little bit further afield mm -hmm. uh damian batman's most recent robin mm -hmm. uh kind of carries that forward where he refers to everyone by their last name mm -hmm. in the comics. I'm not a big Damien fan, but I do like that little thing where like, and he probably learned that from watching Ra's al Ghul. Mm -hmm. So like you can see the seeds that the comics would use years later planted in this animated series. I think um, because they make mention in for Damien's backstory that Batman and um, Damien's mom spent like a week and a half together. Mm hmm. Before he eventually has to fight off uh, Ra's al, al Ghul. Yeah, 100%. They are Damien's parents, after all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they take these uh, these characters and they tweak them a little bit. None of them bad. No. All very well done. Very caring in their treatment of the characters. And um, but before we leave off of uh, Batman the Animated Series to move on to the next series, um, because this will play into Justice League later. Um, but one of my favorite episodes, which uh, is called Almost Got Him, and it's literally an episode where the villains just hang out, play cards with each other. <laughs> that's that's really cool. 
and they compare their best bat almost got Batman stories. Because you would, I mean, they're they're people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and they're me- most of them are megalomaniacs. Yeah. Like, of course they're going to to want to like brag about like that time they almost defeated the Batman. Mm-hmm. That's such a neat narrative story. Which means that one of the best Batman stories out there is one that Batman's barely in it. And yeah. that's kind of a sign of a good storytelling. If your yeah. series can f- still float without your main character on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and bear in mind, too, a lot of times, if you have two villains in the same story, they're either going to be teaming up to take down the hero or their antagonist towards each other and the hero sort of gets drawn into the crossfire. Mm-hmm. So having villains interact with each other outside the context of quote-unquote work is just a really fascinating thing because you, you see these characters acting the ways they normally would. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they make these changes. They have Robin. There's like a... Uh, oh, uh, there's a three-star story arc for just introducing Batgirl. They take their time. In fact, that's an important case because one of the characters in there, Two-Face, doesn't make sense if you just quickly put Two-Face in the For the first, like, I think half a season or so, Two-Face is in there just as Harvey Dent, as Bruce Wayne's friend. Yep. yep. And you can see him psychologically slowly change into Two-Face. I think that's honestly where a lot of the movies take... Uh reference from mm-hmm. as well because you know you, you kind of see that obviously they have a lot less time to do it over you have to do it in a span of two hours mm-hmm. typically um but sometimes you do it over multiple movies we've seen that before as well um to kind of showcase that like yeah this used to be a champion of justice working from inside the system versus batman's outside the system mm-hmm. um and yet you know look what happened yeah um, real quick, before I move on for this, um, something I wanted to bring up is the voice acting in Batman, in actually all of Justice League and all the series for it. They are top notch. Um, one of the things that the voice director, Andrea Romano, and a couple of the producers wanted to get was not necessarily people who are just known for voice acting, but people who could fulfill the role, who could project that role. One of the things is the late, Kevin Conroy, who ends up being Batman, starts his career here and has never stopped playing Batman. That's how good he is. He just ripped the goat. He is the goat for that. Yeah. Um, So much so that when uh, the CW shows do their version of uh, Crisis of Infinite Earths, because it's a multiverse, they convinced Kevin Conroy to play a live action Batman there. An old man Batman, but he plays it. Really? Yeah, oh, and yeah, cool. I my nerdgasm went off uh, and fired up on that day. But no, Kevin Conroy's the goat for that. But Kevin Conroy's apparently also the last voice actor that they got for this before the uh, Batman they the Animated Series. They saved the best for last. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, before the Batman the Animated Series, Mark Hamill isn't known for as he is now as a major voice actor. True. And then you have uh, Richard Mall, who was famous for doing uh, Bull Shannon in the old show Night Court. He's Two Face. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and this will, trend will continue going. Phil Lamar, which from before to this, the only voice before him doing Green Lantern, the only voice acting role I know him as Vamp from uh, Familiar Solid. And you also have uh, Michael Ironside, who gets to play Darkseid, 
Ed Asner, who's Granny Goodness, and tons and tons. Tim Daly, who's from Wings, of all people, ends up being Superman. Well, Phil Lamar, to go back to that, goes on to be uh, Static Shock as well, doesn't he? Yeah, and Static, yeah. God, I love Static Shock. We'll get to Static Phil Shock. Lamar on Mad TV? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, so he, he, I mean, he's been in Batman, he's been Green Lantern, he's been, I mean, he's been everywhere. Everywhere. Like, a lot of these people get other opportunities because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this gives them a lot of range of actors and such to play these roles. And they do it so well. And this is a good trend that's going to keep going. Lex Luthor is played by uh, Clancy Brown, which is has a weird tone shift on that. He is Lex Luthor. He's also Mr. Krabs. Uh, yeah, Clancy Brown actually has a huge range. I mean, yes. he can he can go from the Kurgan mm-hmm. uh to literally anybody. Actually, that's what got him the job as uh, Lex Luthor. He tried out originally to play Superman. And then mm. Andrea Romano found out he was Kurgan from uh, Highlander. Yep. And I believe the way that he puts it goes, you saw Highlander, didn't you? But man, does he play that role of Lex Luthor well. Yeah, he does. So good. And that's just the like the tip of the iceberg of all the brilliant voice acting that they get on this. So what happens is the show keeps going on as it's normal. Batman the Anime Series... And it starts to come to an end. They didn't really have any plans for it, but a lot of them will go to, on to the next because they got the rights and abilities to do the next series, which is Superman, the animated series. And so they move on to Superman and they decided to make a whole tone change. If everything in Gotham is dark, gritty, art deco, Superman was designed to be in the future. Metropolis is like this grand screen. Most of the scenes in that show are done in the day instead of at night. And they start opening up the mythos. One of the decisions that they made, which is kind of interesting, is they decided to tone down Superman's power set. Really? A lot, of, a bit of fans gave him some backlash, but they felt they made a better story to give the bad guys a fighting chance against Superman, basically. Like, I think that's that's kind of always been Superman's biggest problem, is that he can just, he can do anything, you mm-hmm. know? But what... Oh no, Superman can't get out of this with the powers that we've seen anywhere. Well, whatever, give him a brand new power that's totally off the wall. You know, oh yeah, I guess he can do this now. He can do super math. Um, I remember that's a power set he has. Yeah. Super yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I've, I've never really been the biggest Superman fan uh, for, for these reasons. And there's no hate to Superman. I understand he's, he's instrumental. I've got a lot of friends who really enjoy Superman. It's just never really resonated with me as a character. Mm-hmm. For that very reason, right? Like, depending on who's writing him, it's like, oh, he's he can jump really high. Did I say jump really high? I meant he could fly. Oh, now he's got ice breath. Oh, you want some laser eyes too? Yeah, he's definitely got that. Uh, he can hear really well too. Yeah, like it, it kind of. It's always felt to me like that petulant child's fight, where like you're talking about. <laughs> You know, I've got a laser gun that can destroy anybody. And someone's like, no, I've got a shield that can block laser guns that can destroy anybody. Yeah. Like, that's just always how it's felt from Superman, where he's just, (laughs) he's always that kid who's like, no, because mine's always one more than you, Mm -hmm. you know? Man, I I can just see Joe, Simon, and Jerry. I I think I'm getting their their names right. It was Joe, Simon, and Jerry something that created Superman. Siegel, thank you. I, I could just see them in inside of a room, and mm-hmm. you know, this is this, this, this just just in the confines of my own head, right? Yeah. They're just like, let's create a concept called plot armor. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's a cool character. I, like I said, uh, no hate to Superman fans out there. Please don't come yeah. after me. But it's just never been a character I've liked because it, it is, I mean, to to use a pun, so alien mm-hmm. comparatively. 
like the best Superman stories really are the ones that he can't solve with superpowers. Yeah. Yep. And that's why that's what makes Lex Luthor such a great villain for him because Lex Luthor's plans, you know, they're much more mental, they're much more strategy, they're much more tactics. He's not trying to out superpower Superman. In most cases, like sometimes he does because that, you know, it's a long running character. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of different writers with a lot of different opinions on how these things should go. But for the most part, like Lex Luthor isn't trying to prove that he can beat Superman's superpowers. He's trying to prove that Superman isn't that good of a person. I really like that, like Lex Luthor a lot of the time. I mean, he's a smart guy, don't get me wrong. But this next sentence I'm going to say could could piss off some yet more people in the Superman fandom. <laughs> but I do really like that, like, yeah, Lex Luthor's just a dude. He's like, he's, a, he's rich, he's smart, but like... Yeah, that's, that's what he's got. That, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he has no superpowers other than, I mean, maybe his mental aptitude, I suppose, one could argue. But mm-hmm. He's just he's just some dude, and he's like, you're not that great. Maybe that's why I like Lex Luthor, is that he he's just, like, a better version of me. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, when, I mean. When you're upset at Superman with all his superpowers, and, oh, I guess he has ice breath now, whatever. <laughs> Lex Luthor is your voice. <laughs> yeah, right. Lex right, Luthor's yeah. over here like, Get a load of this guy over here thinking he's so great with his ice breath. Like, I get you. I see you, Lex. I see you. I I, I love and hate Lex Luthor, right? Because he is a great antithesis for Superman. Because mm-hmm. you're right. He he is really just a guy. Yeah. He's also a billionaire. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's true. And that helps, right? Like, being able to, to create all these gadgets and buy kryptonite, you know, which is worth the small countries that exist in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's super, certainly helpful. Uh, but yeah, I, I do, I just really enjoy that he's just like, you're not so great. You're a bad person, Superman. And like, I don't know if I agree. I think Superman's trying to be an idealized version of a, of a person. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is an interesting question, right? When like a natural born human is like, yeah, this guy sucks. <laughs> like, so, what does that mean? Leo, I'm, I'm, I'm trying very hard not to get you canceled, <laughs> but I'm just wondering if Jeff Bezos aesthetic is an accident or on purpose. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe that's why he sucks so much. Yeah. Uh, right? right? Yeah. He doesn't have he doesn't have a Superman to fight. Yeah. Right. So he he just had to make a <clears throat> Crockett. Anyway, he's just <laughs> spending his whole his whole life being like, man, if only if only I had a Superman. If only I had a Superman to face off. <sighs> it's it's weird. I've never even considered that before until you mentioned it. But oh my gosh, everything makes so much. I, sense. It really <laughs> does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. They're both evil supervillains that are billionaire. Well, I wouldn't really call Jeff Bezos a supervillain, but I still yes. consider him a villain. Uh, yeah, just it's just too much. I can't handle it. <laughs> and if you disagree, you can at Gaming Theater present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. And then Leo will just direct all your complaints to me. And yeah, where's all the stuff that's getting edited out? We'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> how much do I want to fight? Um, leave it in, you coward. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, so, but moving on for that, the weird sort of tone shift is they make everything lighter as far as Superman's world, but probably some of the darkest storylines that they have is in Superman the animated series. Really? Yeah. So I'll, I'll be honest. I've I've not watched a whole lot of the Superman animated series. It was one of those things that I would watch after Batman, mm-hmm. but before Spider Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I know, know Spider Man's Marvel. Don't don't come yeah. after me. But like. They aired around the same time on different channels mm-hmm. uh, where yep. I grew up. So, yeah, for me, like, it was something I'd have on in the background. Yeah. But because of who the superhero was, mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, 
very invested in it. What do you mean by dark? So let me explain this, okay? There is a set of episodes in there that are really oh, weird. Three big ones that come to mind. Ironically, one in the middle, one happens after that of the series, one happens after that. And then the the last episode of the series, which is the weirdest way to to leave off, but they all integrate together. So one of the episodes, and this is just, so I think it's called The Death of Clark Kent. So the way that that episode works out, because Clark Kent's a journalist, and he's a very good journalist. Now, Superman to all of his powers, Clark Kent actually has a Pulitzer. He had to write that, had to go to college. He became a full-on reporter. He does his stuff. Right? I mean, you got a full ride because he's Superman. Don't lie to me. Because you got that, <laughs> got that Cal L money or whatever. <laughs> Using that Superman cryptocurrency. You're right. Cryptocurrency. Sorry. Oh, shit. That's good. That's good. Um, Kryptonite currency. Um, that was terrible, <laughs> and I hate you for it. That's fair. That, that is valid. So, I appreciate that. Anyway, um, a missile comes out of left field and attacks uh, Clark Kent's car when he's driving. Because Clark Kent, and it's a thing that Superman does in a lot of his mythos, does normal everyday stuff, mostly to keep the act up. Can you imagine, like, being faster than a speeding bullet and then, like, lugging yourself into a car, going to a gas station, <laughs> filling up your car, and then driving to work? Being stuck in traffic. Yeah. Knowing that you could fly there in a split second. That's like the flash oh, walking God. normal speed all the time. You know? Yeah. Like, he's just like, no, I just prefer to, to, you know, a light jog, not using my superpowers. Like, who are you? Speaking of which, that happens in another episode in uh, Justice League. Uh, flash buys a car at some point. Why? What? Yeah, Flash buys a van. He's like, yeah, I got a van. I'm going to call it the Flashmobile. And he shows it off to Green Lantern. Green Lantern's like, why? You can run yeah. faster than this. It's a waste of money. What is the purpose of this? I Clout? Mean... I don't know. But anyway, so after the missile hit Clark Kent's car, the car goes over into the ocean. And they presume Clark Kent is being dead. Hmm. Now, now he has to act dead. Well, so Superman <laughs> has to deal with whoever's actually out to get him because, well, this is a first. It's out to get Clark Kent, not Superman. And what he does is that he finds out that his reporting was getting close to putting away this hitman that he was Clark was investigating. So Superman does this thing. They say it was like, and Clark Kent prints a, another paper about the fact that this guy is going into death row. So why is this important? It's because he prints out this paper, which uh, this report, which convinces the uh, the judges to put the to to throw the book at him, which puts him on death row. And as the moment that they pull the the switch on the electric chair, he figures out Clark Kent's Superman. Whoa. Huh, okay. So they, they, they end him? They end him. They, they unalive they him? They unalive him at the death row on, on the electric chair. That's the end of that episode. And this is a kid's show. This is a kid's show. Okay. So, this I is mean, a Superman show. Yeah. Superman the Boy Scout. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He wrote the paper on the, got the guy to be unalive. That's pretty wild. Moving on. Second part of this, there was an episode that was done about the same time that the, that, um, um, what is it? Uh, oh, why can't I even think of his name? He wrote the new gods. He, he created new gods. He, he's done so many comics. Jack Kirby. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. 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 So they do an episode that's kind of dedicated to Jack Kirby because the new gods is the thing that he made. And so they introduced a bunch of the new gods there, including Darkseid. So Darkseid comes to Earth and he decides that he wants to conquer it. Superman's trying his dangest to, to hold off everything that Darkseid is doing. And towards the end, 
Dan Turpin, which is a cop that's been around in the series for a while. It's a it's a police officer who's a big friend, a detective that was a big friend of Superman's, and he helps him work on his own his cases, right? Right. And so Dan Turpin gets all of these people around to help fight back against Darkseid and his themes from Apocalypse. Meanwhile, Superman comes in and manages to try to hold him off and convinces Highfather, which is a character from New Genesis, the other side of the Darkseid War, because New Genesis and Darkseid have always been at odds with each other, but they have a weird pact. Basically, anything that's protected by the new gods, Darkseid cannot fight, or else he'll end up fighting the, the new gods. As part of a deal on that, he also, very medieval Europe-like, gives his firstborn son, Orion, to the new gods, and the new gods trade out Calabac to serve under Darkseid. So there's this giant political war, and Superman manages to convince the new gods to help him out because they just don't want Darkseid to have this kind of foothold here, all right? So with that being said, towards the end of the episode, the new gods are there, and, and they tell Darkseid, hey, we are now officially protecting Earth. Any more attacks to this may be considered an act of, of war. You get, you go on, you get, and the new gods leave. And Darkseid doesn't want to deal with the new gods, and he knows Superman is the one that's dealing with this, right? So the new gods leave. He takes a boom tube. He's about to take two steps out and he shoots a beam, his Omega beams at Superman just because he's pissed off, right? The beam goes forward. He goes to Superman, takes a wide left, curves around Superman and hits Dan Turpin, wiping him out of existence. <laughs> just like disintegrates him? He straight up unlight him right in, in front of everybody's eyes. And he purposely Damn. moved the beam around Superman, so Superman would think to protect himself, Wait but not to protect others. And he does it just to be a dick. I mean, that sounds like Darkseid. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm remembering this because, admittedly, I, I didn't. I didn't watch a lot of Superman either, mm -hmm. but I do remember like some some guy just just getting like expired through death ray. Yeah. And then Superman freaks out and just starts like punching the crap out of a tank. Yeah, because he's that, pissed. Is that the same episode? Mm-hmm. Oh. Because of the New God's interference, he can't do anything to Darkseid, or else the war starts again. Oh, and he okay, just has to, it. and Darkseid just wants him to watch to let him know, yeah, you could have protected this guy, but you didn't. And I leave. will say too, Eric, this is a pretty common through line in a lot of Superman stories. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of things with Darkseid, a lot of things with, um, oh my God, what is the crazy spiky berserker man? Lobo? <laughs> Not no, Lobo, no, no, no. Uh, Doomsday. Doomsday. Yep. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't remember Doomsday. Uh, where, where you see like Superman driven to these like to almost his breaking point or to his breaking point in some cases, mm -hmm. uh, where there's been such rampant destruction or the death of somebody he loves, and he just loses his cool. Yeah, and it'll get worse for him. In fact. There is two versions of this episode because it ends with a funeral because Dan Turpin is a character that was created by Jack Kirby. Oh. And this episode came out just after the passing of Jack Kirby. The reason why there's two oh. versions of this episode is one version of it, the original one, has Stan Lee in the funeral drawn in. Yeah. Oh, wow. As a tribute to Jack Kirby. But they didn't catch that until after it aired. And from my understanding, Stan Lee just basically, eh, go for it. So yeah, that's the second time. The third time, and this is the uh, episode called Legacy, which is how the series ends, is that you see Superman going on a conquering spree and conquering most of the Western Hemisphere. What do you mean by conquering? 
as in conquering, as in he has an army behind him and he is laying siege to city after city after city. Superman is? Superman is. And Superman gets into a fight with uh, Supergirl. Beats her so badly she needs to get a transfusion. Star Labs has on record a vial or two of blood, but the real problem is they can't put Superman's blood into Supergirl because of her skin. They had to use a kryptonite scabble and a bunch of other stuff. Basically, they have to poison her in order to, to save her life because Superman had been fighting her throughout this episode, right? So he starts to get his mind together. It turns out he ended up getting tricked to go into Darkseid's realm, into his world. Darkseid captures yep. him and decides, you know what would be big? Because he can't, isn't legally allowed to go to Earth, but it doesn't stop Superman. So he brainwashes Superman into serving Darkseid. And once he snaps out of it, he goes off into a rage and fights off all the Darkseid's minions and pushes them back. But at this point, no one trusts Superman because he was leading an army to conquer the Earth. Yeah, I mean, checks out. Ugh. And the only superheroes that had uh, stood up to him have been taken down. That's the last episode of the series. That's where they ended. Like, the, se the series finale? That's the series finale. What? He has this last statement of basically, like, I have to earn everyone's trust again. I have to start from the bottom and work my way up. But that's how they end the series, which was just radical, right? Yeah. And it's brutal. So yeah, I don't know how, but Superman got the worst of the stories somehow. I, th I think maybe there was just sort of a, because, you know, like I said, Superman's the Boy Scout. I think there's a natural inclination when you are, you know, when you're writing for someone who's so good and pure, you want to see how corrupt you can make them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. That hurts me. <laughs> so, throughout the series of Superman, there's a couple of special three episodes called World's Finest, which is one of my favorites in this, this series, where it has Batman crossover to Superman. And everything in that movie, is, it's a three-part episode, but it's actually designed as a movie. Everything in that movie is solid and hilarious and amazing. Batman comes to town because Joker is in town after he stole a bunch of kryptonite for something. And Batman being Batman figures out, you know, the only reason anybody has kryptonite is to try to do something against Superman, right? Right, yeah. So Lex Luthor is hiring the Joker to stop Superman. And it's funny because they have this weird back and forth about this. He goes, Lex Luthor's like, why should I bother hiring you, Joker? The person you're dealing with is just a mere mortal. And Joker gets super pissed and is about to, and about to punch out Lex. He goes, there's nothing mere about that mortal at all Oof. so batman and superman are in town and how they discover their own secret identity is amazing superman goes off and he sees that batman is punching out a bunch of thugs in his town in metropolis and he's like you can't do this you've got to stop batman doesn't even think turns around and throws superman and he has this look on his face like how did this happen what happened here yep that's me You're probably <laughs> wondering how i got here <laughs> probably wondering how i got here that, that's the look on his face, like, what just happened here? So he uses his x-ray vision, and he, and he figures out that that's Bruce Wayne under that cowl. It's a pretty big violation of someone's privacy. Mm-hmm. Superman's a jerk. Yeah, but Batman escapes and gets away. Then Superman goes back to his to his apartment, and he's about to go to bed, and he, notices, and he feels something weird on his neck. As it turns out, when Batman threw him, Batman put a tracking device on him and followed him home and figured out his identity. Huh. I do have to wonder, right? So you, you mentioned the Batman got away and escaped, and it's like, yeah. did he, though? Or did <laughs> Superman just let him go? Because you cannot convince me that a man who can see through walls, who can hear the drop of a pin from space, who can do all of these crazy things, 
lost somebody. I just, I just don't believe you. You know, he was like, oh, I'll find him later. I know it's Bruce Wayne. I can hear his heartbeat from a million miles away. Whatever. I'll, we'll get to him. I also love the love triangle that happens with Lois Lane in that movie. Amazing. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Clark's in love with Lois. Lois does not know that Clark is Superman. Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne hooks up with Lois and stays there for like a month. <laughs> Mr. Steal Your Girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Steal Your Girl. Not only that, she was considering moving to Gotham. A scandal. My favorite part is she ends up finding out Bruce Wayne's Batman and she's like, and she actually loves the guy and just goes, this is the greatest story ever. And I can't tell anybody about this at all. And in fact, that's what gets them to break up because no matter what he's going to do, Batman's always going to just go out into danger no matter what what happens. He is just the person. There's nothing mortal about him. We've been over this. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is World's Finest. It's a great episode of the series. But also, this adds Batman and Superman's canon combined. So this is what starts the DCAU. This is where you we actually have an animated universe far before we get Marvel Cinematic Universe and various other ones. Before crossovers become a big thing, they're already doing it now in the in mid-90s. I mean, if you want to get technical, they were doing it with the Super Friends. <laughs> That's very true. You want to get technical, Scooby-Doo started the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you think this was their like literal intent to eventually lean towards the Justice League? Or is that sort no. of like an afterthought, right? Where like the, That was 100% an afterthought. <laughs> they're like, you know what would be cool? Yeah. Batman and Superman. And they're like, oh, but we have other characters too, eventually. It was a happy accident. Well, because this, this is the thing. The Justice League, this, this didn't happen after Superman. The series ended. That wasn't their next series, The Justice League. True. They went back to Batman. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, can you blame them? Basically, the you know the whoever was in charge said, "We want it. We want something that rivals Spider-Man. You know, and sort of has that aesthetic of of going to school and but but balancing that with superhero work. So they wanted a Batman in high school, and that's what gave rise to Batman Beyond, mm -hmm. which was. Ultimately, and that show is where the Justice League became a thing. And I have to admit, maybe a cardinal sin. Uh, I was not, as a child, the biggest fan of Batman Beyond. Oh, blasphemy. I know, that was, I know. That was a fantastic show. As an adult, great. I agree with you. But as a kid, I was like, <laughs> Terry sucks. He's just a jerk. I don't care for him. Like, whatever bruce wayne's way cooler like i mm -hmm. I, I was i was anti-terry i'll be honest <laughs> with you um being an adult now obviously that that's changed I, I think it's a fantastic show and it's phenomenal and i'd love to see a revival but well, i'm glad your taste improved with age oh it usually does right <laughs> but yeah no i just for whatever reason i just did not care for terry mcginnis i think he was a little like too in my face i have a similar problem with Raphael from the turtles I was just like, you just Raphael's have to dig. the best turtle. Oh my gosh. That's a weird way to say Leonardo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, I'm a Leo fan through and through. Yeah. Not yeah. just because of my name. I'm the only Donatello fan in here, I bet. <laughs> you know, normally I do find most folk do kind of gravitate to Donatello. I know mm -hmm. that's an aside, but I just find that interesting. A lot of it is just because I'm, a, I'm an engineer in my profession, so he just has a special place with me. He hits me in the heart place right there. Makes sense.
it started in New Adventures of Batman, and then they moved on to Batman Beyond. And then the New Adventures of Batman wasn't much. It's essentially just the same Batman show. They just updated everything so it's not in the 30s. Mm. TV screens are in color now. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought it was... As a kid, I was really confused because I was certain this was just the same series as Batman, so I didn't understand why they bothered giving it a new name. Mm -hmm. They solved the Jason Todd problem by not having Jason Todd in the series. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say by killing him with a crowbar. Nope, he's not even <laughs> mentioned. He's gone. Oh, that's too bad. Actually, it's not too bad. I don't like Jason Todd either. Just skip from Dick Grayson straight to um, Tim Drake. The third one. Tim Drake. To yeah. be honest, that's for the best. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. Tim Drake is probably one of my favorite Robins. I'll be honest. Tim Drake's incredible. He's a great Robin. Jason Todd? Mm, I don't know. Okay, I, I just really like... So, Batman Beyond, I love and hate this about it. This is where the Justice League gets introduced, is in Batman Beyond. And they, they show, like, older versions of, of the Justice League, the future versions. Oh, yeah. Um, And they ask... They ask Terry to join them because they talk about how Batman used to be a member. And and remember when they're making this episode, the Justice League as a cartoon is not out yet. This this was actually like the test franchise for it. And, you know, so Terry comes along and he, he finds out there's a traitor amongst them. That's the whole reason he was brought in. He finds out the traitor's a mind-controlled Superman. Yep. You know, goes through this whole thing and then there's like, yeah, so we're, we're still happy to have you on board. Terry's just like, nah, I'm a part-timer and then walks away. Um, because this episode, or actually I think it was a two-parter. Yeah. Because, th because this storyline was so popular, they said, let's make this into its own show, the Justice League show. And we'll, we'll go back to the regular time with regular Superman and Batman and all them, and we'll do a show on it. And that sort of usurped Batman Beyond. Yeah, it's the reason why Batman Beyond does not have, they thought they were going to have in the last episode. No, they basically jumped ship, went straight into Justice League. And like, I'm upset because I loved Batman Beyond and I wanted it to keep going, but I also love Justice League and I'm happy it was a thing. So yeah. Batman Beyond stories were really well, well scripted, well done. Even the ones which are very much, uh, it, it's exactly what it says on the tin. I think there's an episode called Terry's friend dates a robot. Yeah, Terry's friend dates a robot. And Terry's friend episode. dates a robot. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Are you saying that huh. in Terry's friend dates a robot that Terry has a friend who dates a robot? Yes, that's exactly what oh. I'm saying. Well, that's confusing. But there is an episode in there which is a lot of people's fan favorites. And it's one where old man Bruce gets put into the Lazarus pit and becomes a younger version of himself. And Bruce Batman basically gets to team up with Batman. Best episode. Best episode. Hands, hands down. down. I would as, as a kid and as an adult, I love that episode because I got the good Batman back. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my favorite line from that is like, you know, because um, Talia, well, second favorite line, Talia is, is just like talking about how like, I know you're concerned, Terry, about what how this is going to affect your Super Oaks. And Terry, Terry's just like, I'm not wearing the Robin suit. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. Can you imagine Terry McGinnis wearing the Robin suit? <laughs> no, I can't. I'd like... That's almost as good as, like, Disco Wing from the old <laughs> Disco Wing. For those who may not be familiar, 
I think it's the seventies and eighties. They decided that Nightwing, uh, Dick Grayson, after he becomes Robin, he becomes Nightwing. For those who may not know, uh, they decided that he needed a new costume. His old costume just wasn't working. You know, he needed something more disco. And so he's got like tassels and like, it's all really tight. It's, it's a, it's a wild outfit. It is a crazy outfit, and if anyone understands deep DC lore, Nightwing has the best ass in the universe. That's true. He's dummy thick. That, that is full canon right there. Clap of his ass cheeks keeps alerting the guards. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, no, Rob's right. They, they went to Batman Beyond, and Batman Beyond is an amazing show, and they do their thing, but then they start moving on to Justice League. Justice League is where things change. It was funny because at first they were like, we're going to have young characters team up with old characters after a little bit nah scrap it nobody gets their psych hits in this episode for a while and they start the justice league series with a literal war of the worlds type story and i think that's smart because what happens in it is this is literally a conquering army that is powerful enough to take out superman in a few giant laser blasts this is a situation where you need a team to deal with this problem I am a sucker for a good team up. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I think, you know, whether it's superheroes, whether it's, you know, Power Rangers, whatever it is, like getting a good team up episode is just always hype for me. Mm-hmm. It's hype train. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seeing other characters and be like, oh, oh, it's that guy from the, the you know, or whatever. It's always a good. So when they do this, they bring all the team members together. Superman's in there. Batman. We already established them. They couldn't get the original Superman voice actor, but they got Tim Daly, the new Superman voice actor. And he does a fantastic job of doing that. They bring in the Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. which Wonder Woman was interesting because she was a fish out of water. She basically up, leaves Themyscira, and bails, and I'm in. What about Aquaman? Aquaman will show up later, but not part of the original seven. He's not a, he's not a fish out of water, though. <laughs> I don't get it. Could you explain that joke in more see, detail? Yeah, see, Rob, it, it's, very, it's a very funny joke, right? It works on a multitude of levels, because Aquaman is from Atlantis, right? Right, and right. Atlantis is a fictional city in the DC universe. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you haven't heard of where... where uh, they live underwater, <laughs> you, right? You might not have heard of Atlantis. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty low pretty obscure. Yeah, you know, I liked it before it was cool, just for the record. <laughs> uh, and and in, this, in this underwater city, typically there are fish, like we know them oh, on Earth. That right? makes so much sense now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so Aquaman going from Atlantis to the shores, you know, going out of the waters, could be considered literally a, a fish out of water. So, I see, I so see. he's not Thank actually a fish. That's more of... You know, like just like a funny play on words. He's he's a human. Don't 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 get it wrong. Oh, I've been thinking about Aquaman all wrong. Yeah, yeah. He's not actually a sentient fish man. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. It's confusing. <laughs> um, but actually, that does bring a new point to this. Whenever they add characters from other parts of the DC universe, they just add him into the canon. And this is mine and its favorite version of this Aquaman, badass Viking Aquaman, missing at hand. He's pretty awesome. With replaces it with a hook. Yeah, dude, just got a hook hand. It's the mm-hmm. coolest thing. Can he fire that thing? Yeah, he, not at first, but he later he adds in a, in a way to fire. It's like, like a the grappling hook. hook, isn't it? Like he just mm-hmm. like launches it off of his arm, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. After cutting it off his own hand first. I mean, that's pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. And like later in the episode, he beats somebody up, and well, they're underwater. I'm a master of water. Yeah, bring it on, buddy. In fact, his first outing, he 
straight up demands the UN give up every uh, nukes. That's it. And leaves. That's right. You know, I find it interesting, too, that, like, so the Justice League, as, as we know them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first Justice League group, if you will, in, in the comics were not the seven that they put into the animated. Correct. And I, I find that really kind of interesting. You know, the, the founding members mm-hmm. were, I mean, Aquaman was one of them, if I'm not mistaken. Aquaman is one of the original founding members. Batman, Superman, and The Flash have all appeared at one form or another in the in the DCU at this point. Sure. That's actually kind of an important note. They keep track of where everyone is and what everyone's doing. So, like, it's the reason why Joker is not in Batman and Beyond. Because, at this point, Joker's dead. Is he, though? Oh, yeah, he did. Is he, though? No, he is. That's actually a very major plot point in the, the, in oh. the Batman Beyond movie. Is he, though? There's a whole movie about it. Is there, though? Yes. I remember some episodes. I don't know, man. Yeah, if you started reading the Batman Beyond comics, then then yes, you have a fair point. Is Joker <laughs> really dead? It turns out, no, he's not, because he's Joker, and they have to put him in there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, my point. But in, but in the DCAU, by the point of Batman Beyond, Joker is legit dead. Mm. Wow. Batman found the dead body and everything. Mm, my ridiculous aside, please continue. I'm <laughs> <laughs> actually going to tell me Superman's really dead. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> I've seen him. There was a time he wasn't. That is true. That is a epi- series of episodes that come up. So one of the things that they decided to do in this, and I don't know how they got through with it, but most of the uh, cartoon episodes and such are episodic. This one, nearly every episode is a two or three part episode. Oh, okay. So they have time to breathe in these stories and such. You are, you are hard pressed to find any animation that uh, series that's a weekly series of any sort that has more than a half an hour long episode. You don't get hour long episodes with animation. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's just kind of how they do it. Because that's how they did it in America with shows at the time. You know, they understood that we're going to be having these shows. Whoever's airing these shows isn't going to be playing them in order necessarily. It's just going to be kind of, they'll they'll throw whatever episode up whenever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we have to contain each story within its own 30 minutes. We can't have multi-parts because there's no guarantee that the station will air those episodes in order. Well, and so they even... just tried to avoid that. You're not even typically getting a full 30 minutes, right? It's like 24 and then commercials. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I call it a 30-minute sure. episode, but I know it's actually a 20-minute yeah, episode. Yeah, of course. But yeah, no, they had time and uh, room to breathe for this. And so the new guys on the block, uh, the Martian Manhunter, which is one of the original founders of the Justice Leagues in the comics. Uh, Green Lantern, which I think they just needed a Green Lantern. Whichever Green Lantern we can get. <laughs> The specific one's not important. <laughs> they had their options for it, and they decided to go with John Stewart specifically because there's not a lot about John Stewart in the regular at the time during the co- was a regular comics run. I'll be honest. I think that was a good call. Too, I do too. Honestly. I am surprised they didn't go with like Hal Jordan. Yeah, because everyone goes with Hal Jordan or, or Kyle Rayner, right? Because those are like, from what I know of, it two of the big ones. Uh, yeah, Kyle Rayner's the one that would be around at this time. Is yeah. Uh, I will say this. I'm really glad they did not go with Guy Gardner. I have a hard time with that character. He is he's a special kind of guy. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> the only one I really know of Green Lantern is, is Hal Jordan. I'm not terribly versed with the other ones. 
So when you say John Stewart, I don't I don't think of the Green Lantern. I I I think of the actor and uh, Daily Show host for the longest time. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah. They put him from the Daily Show into the DCAU. It was the wildest thing. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. It was really weird to hear the Green Lantern mostly making political commentary. Oh. <laughs> but you know, it worked. It's yeah. his power set. It's his power set. <laughs> the power the power of will looks different to some people. <laughs> But yeah, so they picked that. The Flash was an interesting one. They had The Flash. It's not until, I think, the end of the series when they decide to pick which Flash it is. They don't ever say his name? They never the say end. his name until the end of uh, Justice League. That's wild. Huh. I mean, no, that's not true, because there's one of the early storylines. Essentially, they're on the run from, from the Hawk people invading. Yeah. Uh, and Batman reveals everybody's secret identities, and he points specifically... To Wally West, who was the one who didn't want to show his identity. So, that's the thing. That is the end of Justice League, but it's not the end of the Justice League series, because then it becomes oh, okay, Justice okay. League Unlimited. It's interesting to me that they chose Wally. Like, not, not that Wally's a bad choice, right? But, like, right. Uh, once again, you have a number of the Flashes out there. You know, you could have mm-hmm. gone with Barry. You could have gone with... Uh, which I think Barry was kind of the popular one at the time if i remember correctly no wally's the current one so backtracking to do some history on this barry allen dies at the end uh and here's a big spoiler barry allen dies in the comics at uh during a uh, crisis on infinite earth then wally west who was kid flash at the time takes up the mantle and to dc's credit they kept him dead until like the mid 2000s oh so wally west is the only flash that's running around right now I mean, there's other speedsters like Impulse and Jesse Quick and a couple of uh, Max Mercury. But no, as far as the Barry Allen, he was the popular one, but they kept him out of the comics for the longest time. And they went with Wally West. Sorry, Wally in the AU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just interesting to me. I mean, it makes sense because he was dead, but. They could have gone with Barry. They just told, eh, let's go with Wally West instead. Like, I think it would have been just as weird if they had done like the original Flash. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, it's not a bad choice. It's just, it is a, it is a choice. It is a choice. But yeah, they had their options of flashes and that's the one that they picked. Hot girl comes out of left field. Like literally there's just a throwaway line of what's hot girl doing here. And since Batman says that he knows hot girl, good enough for me. I believe it. There's nothing bad that could possibly happen for this. I do remember they do spend a lot of time on Thanagarian, like the Thanagarians, Mm -hmm. the Hawk people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they spend quite a bit of time in both the Justice League and uh, Unlimited, mm-hmm. focused around the Hawk people doing Hawk stuff. You know, yeah. And I think that's interesting because before that series, I didn't know much about Hawk Girl or Hawkman. Yeah, I did not. And uh, from what I understand, this version of the of Hawk Girl is a lot easier to explain than the regular comic version of Hawkgirl. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Before we get through the rest of this, um, there's a weird thing that happens in a series called Static Shock, okay? So Static Shock comes out, and Static Shock is ran by a completely different comic company. DC, partway through Justice League, picks up the rights to that comic company. It's such a good show, y'all. Mm-hmm. It Some is. of the themes it, it tackles are, I mean, it's just absolutely phenomenal. By far my favorite DC animated 
show mm. is Static Shock. You know, I think I'd, I'd probably agree. And you're throwing that up against a lot of heavy hitters. Young Justice yeah, is up there, there too. Yeah, there are some dang good DCAU stuff, but mm. Static Shock just tops them all. Like, it deals with some serious topics. It deals with some, uh, I mean, normal superhero chaff, which is not a bad thing. Mm-mm. It's just, it, it's got it all. If you have not seen Static Shock, it is a little old. For so animation's not going to look maybe like things do today. But it, I eh. I agree. I and, highly recommend And I'll admit it. the third season gets a little... Yeah. Yeah. They they really... there. It was a very popular show. And so a lot of people wanted in on it. And you, so you had guest stars like every other every other episode. Shaq was in an time. episode. I remember that. Yeah. It, it was kind what? of like the like Scooby-Doo <laughs> equivalent. It, it was. Right? Where they're like, oh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, here's Batman <laughs> and Robin. Like, uh. the, the creators of Static Shock, it felt like at, towards the end, we're just like, who can we throw in this show? <laughs> it's, it's weird. Well, I mean, and part of it was um, not, not to necessarily open up a can of worms, but there just wasn't a lot of black representation. True. In shows at the time, Static mm-hmm. was like the big one. I mean, you know, they they had a black Green Lantern in Justice League Unlimited, but he wasn't like the main character. No. Static was, and yeah. that was a huge step forward. And so then now you have a lot of these these people who are black are like, awesome! I'm so happy to see here's you know here's a black character. I kind of want in on that, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's why you have. I think his name was Little Wayne. Yeah, Little Wayne was in an episode. Little Wayne was in the episode yeah, because Wayne. he loved the show, and he basically sorry, Little Bow Wow. Was uh, it? No, still, it was Little Bow Wow. Like, and you know, represent. This is the reason why that like representation is so important and is so mm-hmm. integral. You know, Static Shock actually tackles some serious issues dealing with racism uh, mm-hmm. in the show. Like that, the the characters. One of the characters' fathers does not approve of our, our hero. Mm-hmm. And they have a conversation. Like, he tells his son he doesn't want him seeing that person anymore. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, a whole in-depth, mature, I would say, for its time, conversation about how, like, it's not cool that you're racist, Dad. And I remember as a kid being like, this is insane. And even as an adult, it's still just incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, Tackling things that no other show. I mean, you would never see this in Justice League. You'd never. You don't. You don't see it in Batman. You don't see it in Spider Man. Like Static Shock took the torch and just ran with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm. Like, yeah, I mean, that was that was the thing I loved about it. Static Shock dealt with real world issues. Yeah. These weren't. You know, it's it's hard to relate sometimes to here's a supervillain who's going to like rise the layers of the ocean because reasons. Oh, you know, man. whatever. Uh, no, here's gang violence. Yeah. You know, here's a kid who brought a gun to school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are we dealing with that? Whoa. I'm yeah. very curious about this. I, I I never got a chance to watch Static Shock. And oh, it's so It good, is 100% right? worth your time. 100%. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and in the reviews part, there's a, there's a little side, side column that says, like, although he noted the Static Shock did not figure... The very did not feature, excuse me, the very first African American superheroes. Andy right. Mangels affirmed it was the first to have a diverse roster of characters and cast members as well. Mm-hmm. For example, oh, yeah. Michael J. White left portrays Osibo in the episode Static in Africa, while Afre Woodward, uh, Woodard, excuse me, appears as Virgil's mother in flashback. Yeah, that's yep. pretty cool. 
No, um, it's it's super rad and like low key. I'm kind of hoping that if Blue Beetle does well, that they might make a Static Shock movie. And I am. I mean, they probably won't. The issue with Static Shock is legal issues surrounding copyright. Because ah. as Leo mentioned earlier, Static was not originally a DC property. It was owned by Milestone Comics. Is Milestone so. Media. Well, so Milestone Media uh, created, which is you'll get this weird shift in the if you if you're watching it in the first season or such, you'll see things like. Static talking about like that Batman's in a comic book that he knows where the 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 Fortress of Solitude. He mentioned Superman's secret identity as if it was a comic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then what happens is that Milestone Media um gets picked up by because Milestone Media uh, financially was having some troubles in the in this, and then they get picked up by DC, and so Milestone Media keeps working on their stuff. But now they have, want to integrate it into the DC world. So what happens, and I think it's around season two this happens, because you see a shift in an upgrade in animation because now they can now DC has its regular budget that's tied to mm-hmm. it. And then they have episodes that are linked with Justice League that's going on with them. I will say this is jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I'm, the reason that I'm hoping so fervently for a Static Shock movie, other than the fact that it'd be freaking rad. Yeah. Um, I do know that in Young Justice, an uh, animated series that comes out much later than Static Shock, um, they do include Static in there. And that is mm. very, very much so a DC property. So while I don't have any, you know, I don't know the goings on at DC, full disclosure, but uh, it's my hope that like maybe that rights issue is like less of a thing than we think it is because he, you do see him in a bunch of different series and you know, mm-hmm. comics and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's and I don't know the full details either, but mm-hmm. my basic understanding is the creatives who are making the DT stuff want static in there. Mm-hmm. The lawyers don't. Yeah, and, then and so there's this there's this fight. Where they're like, we need to get Static in here. He's so awesome. And then the lawyers are like, no. And the creators are like, please, please, please. No, we really need to find. And so like they sort of begrudgingly, okay, you can have him in for three episodes or whatever the crap. Mm-hmm. So I'm you know, saying so is, it's, it's it's always a fight to get him in there, but I feel it's worth it. Free yeah. Static Shock, 2024. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'd watch it. I also love that you know basically most of the Static's villains come from the same giant gang of wars when the whole thing starts. Mm-hmm. And they're just running around for it, and Static's got a is one of the few people that can deal with this problem. Yeah. yeah, see, that's 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 one of the other things I really love about it because you know Batman had the theme of all of his villains are like dealing with trauma and mental illness. Yeah, Static's theme is all of his villains are dumb kids. Yeah, who were suddenly given superpowers, <laughs> and like you know most of the ways that Static defeats these villains, like not all, some of them are genuinely bad people, but a lot of times. Static just needs to talk to them yeah, and get them to like, see that what you're doing is a problem. There's a better way. Come on, let's get you help. That's how static. So he's villains. like reparenting children. So to, so to speak, but he's a yes. child himself. And yeah. And, and oh. he's a teenager himself. Okay. I don't know the episode, Rob, you might remember better than I do, but the, I do remember one specifically where there's a girl whose powers are out of control and yep, it the... literally ends in a hug. The, the Christmas episode. Yes. 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 And like, Oh dude, I'm a sucker for Christmas episodes. Oh, it's phenomenal. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean like, and I'm going to say that about every single episode of static <laughs> shock. Like, like you bring up a static shock episode and I'm going to be like, that's the one that that's the greatest of all time. And then you bring up another one. I'm like, Nope, that's the one definitely. But, but no, like it definitely, like I love Batman. I love Superman. Mm-hmm. It's cool to see superheroes go toe to toe and, you know, go to the mat and, gritty and punching each other and using powers and that sort of stuff. 
it's so cool. But what made Static Shock so different and so awesome is that, yeah, he's got powers, but like that's not what made Virgil special. Yeah. It's the fact that he like legitimately gave a shit about people. I'm you know, not saying that Mr. Freeze could be reasoned with, but to use an earlier example, right? Like, how different would that episode have been if Batman was like, Hey, Mr. Freeze, can I call you Dr. Freeze? Like, is that, is that okay? Uh, what if we didn't murder this executive and we just like worked together to save your wife, you know, or whatever. Mm. Um, it's just got such a much different, neat vibe to it. Yeah. than Your average superhero shows at that time. Yeah. And to the credit for everyone who worked on static shock in the animated series, they moved over to work on justice league. Oh, um, Dwayne McDuffie is one of their big writers for Static Shock, and he's also one of the creators of Static Shock, and he does a lot of episodes in, in um, Justice League Unlimited. I did not know that. So when properties like that kind of combine, you usually get a loss of people who work on it. It's just mm. some will doesn't want to see a, the vision and they bail. Others are straight up fired or or part of their contract is only with this show, so they don't ne- negotiate another contract. Yeah. But in this case, a lot of them just moved over to work on Justice League. Oh, okay, okay. In which case, there's episodes in there, like whenever they go in the future, they bump into Static again in the future. Old Man Static is so cool. His beard is rocking. His Whoa. beard is... So they're also introducing other characters that they have a pools for. I don't think they use any of Static's villains in the series, but that's fine because... At this point, they have everyone else in DC that they can. Mm -hmm. Got it. So there was a commentary that I bumped into once about this, where the seven members of of Justice League not only represent different things that they do, they are also can represent the things that you don't think of. Superman, for example, is a big representation of wrath, and Batman is a representation of hubris. Interesting. (laughs) Wait, how, how is Batman the representation of hubris? Batman thinks he can do deal with everything on his own. Ah. Or as I've heard it once described, this is Batman and his bitches. <laughs> okay. That's yeah, like okay. so Batman shows up and then these uh the other members of the Justice League are just tools that he can use for a lot of fights to deal with a problem. But Batman thinks that he can solve everything a lot. It takes him a bit to understand no, he needs to work on a team dynamic. I will say there are a lot of problems Batman can solve by himself. However, yeah. <laughs> he can't solve all of them. There's a spot in there with Superman with Wrath. You have Superman dealing with, like, you know, dealing with Aquaman's villains. He's fine. Dealing with um, with even Lex Luthor. He's fine. That Actually, there's this weird, kind of sad episode where the Justice League finally has enough evidence to put Lex Luthor away. They go to arrest him, and Superman grabs Lex Luthor, and he has a, a, a heart attack. And it turns out, storyline keeps popping up, Turk has to protect himself against Superman a ring made of kryptonite, but he's been wearing it for so long he has radiation poisoning. And now Superman just feels sorry for him because he was so angry at, at him that he's literally killing himself for this. And this will tie into parts that happen later. With that, if you ever have Superman dealing with anything that has to deal with Darkseid, he goes nuts. There's this scene because Darkseid needs Superman's help to deal with Brainiac who shows up. And Brainiac's a big Superman villain, right? So Darkseid sends an emissary uh, to the Justice League Watchtower, which is a satellite in space that they that they use as a base. Yeah. And they have to pull, try to pull Superman off of punching out Darkseid because he's moving the, the thing out of orbit. 
he is hitting him so hard, it's moving his space station out of orbit. So they stop him, and Darkseid is like, here's the thing. If you don't help me deal with Brainiac, Brainiac's going to come over to Earth. That's just what he's going to do, and you know it. And so Darkseid leaves and leaves him with a boom tube so he can go to to this place. And the rest of the leaguers are, are sitting here going, well... But Brainiac is attacks Darkseid, he will probably destroy him. And Superman's like, good, leaves. <laughs> good. Good. F this guy in particular. But Batman, who's the cooler head, who understands the logic, like, no, uh, Brainiac's going to deal with Darkseid, and then he's going to come over Earth. That's what he does. And Superman's like, do you know what Batman did to me? And, Dark- and Batman, who's been paying attention, just goes, so... He manipulated you. He convinced the world to work turn against you. He has destroyed parts of your life. Get over it. This is a bigger problem. <laughs> By the end of that episode, they go to, to Brainiac's uh, base and they destroy Brainiac, but Darkseid starts taking over Brainiac's stuff because, again, his big thing is the anti-life equation. He's like, this should work. And so he sets it up to do this anti-life equation. Superman and a couple of leaguers finally stop him, but they have to escape because the asteroid that they're on is going to destroy itself, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about to destroy itself. Superman instead chases down Darkseid. He finds Darkseid, destroys the boom tube device, and even though everybody else is left, goes, no, this is where this stops. The only way you're getting out of here is through me. Let's just go. Let's rumble. He will sacrifice his own life because he's so mad at Darkseid. And here's the thing. Orion's in that fight. Darkseid's son, who's laying unconscious, screw him. I'm punching out Darkseid. That's what I'm here for. Batman has to go back, try to get Superman out of there, and ba- and Superman, in his rage, breaks Batman's arm. Dang. And Batman basically has to hold him into a, into a particular hold, pull him back, and suck him through a boom tube in order to get him off of an asteroid that's going to blow up. And he just leaves him there. That's it. And the remainder of the series, because a asteroid blew up, Darkseid's gone. Doesn't he have a really pithy one-liner as he leaves him on the, the, the asteroid as well? Yeah, he uh, Darkseid just turns away because uh, he thinks that Superman's weak for not being able to finish it off this fight. And he just turns to him and goes, loser, and that dies. That's the last, <laughs> his dying words is, he's just, loser. <laughs> wow. God, can you imagine getting dunked on that hard by a dude who's about to die? Like- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Superman's Anytime it's something with one of Superman's big, big villains that have ruined him, yep. he will go nuts. Lex Luthor will do that later and totally like undermine the entirety of um, Justice League. And this is a big, this is part of the Cadmus arc for it. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's, that's the big thing about the whole Justice Lords arc, right? Is they go to a different universe where basically Superman gives in to his wrath. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it drastically alters things. The whole Justice League becomes this like totalitarian regime. Yeah. Uh, and it's because Superman, the mm. Boy Scout, finally abandoned his principles. I will say a lot of these like DCAUs, not the animated universe, but like alternate universes, mm-hmm. I find very fascinating. I remember seeing an animated uh, film where uh, the Flash goes into the future, but instead of it being Bruce Wayne Batman, it's Thomas Wayne. Oh, Flashpoint. Yeah, it's, it's super good. Uh, but I, I do think it's always really interesting to see like the Justice League as a concept works because they all kind of keep each other in check in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even though you know, like a lot of people think Batman could solo the the you know Justice League on his own, maybe. Yeah. But like you take this piece out, right? You take Superman's morality out, and it falls to pieces. You take you know Batman's willingness to get the mission done, 
uh, and, and work with a team begrudgingly. You take that out and it crumbles in a different way. And I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting that like all these animated series, you can see them try these things and do these things where you would not ever see this happen in like a film, uh, mm-hmm. a live action film. Uh, you know, you see Superman establish a totalitarian uh, justice Lords and it's scary. It's weird. It's creepy. It's, it's wild. Uh, but it's a different vibe than, you know, one of these other Justice League, evil Justice Leagues that you see. Yeah. So one of the big arcs that they do after is and there's some really interesting episodes. There's a reality show with a clock episode in Justice League, which is hilarious mm. and has a very weird twist ending where it turns out that Joker's playing everybody because he yeah. steps up his game. Is that where they're like on like a family feud type show? Uh, kind of. So it's uh, what happens in that episode is that Joker places a bunch of bombs in Las Vegas and he hides, I think, something like 48 bombs in Las Vegas. And they'll go off in about uh, half an hour unless the Justice League tries to stop them. This is where he introduces the the Royal Flush Gang. OK. One of them super strong. I think that's Jack 10. But importantly, there's one character named Ace. Ace is this girl who... Turns out that she has psychic manipulation and she can hypnotize people into almost bending parts and pieces of reality to herself. And she is uh, she has often been twisted by the Joker as well. They're using the reality show format so that way they would get every viewer possible and Ace can use her powers through the airwaves. So Ace is using her powers to drive every single person who's watching insane. And I think it's uh, when she finds out that the Joker has kept a uh, ring device that suppresses Ace's powers. Ace was kind of tortured a bit, studied and prodded and such when she was held by the by the government that was holding their team. Yeah, she was originally created by Cadmus, who was basically the anti-Justice League government organization. Mm-hmm. And so Ace gets uh, manipulates them and then um, Ace basically bails. And it has she'll come up again later in the epilogue, the last episode of the series ish. So what happens is that Ace basically, once you realize that everyone's just wanting to use her for her powers and nothing else, she just walks away from this whole thing. And there's a bunch of really good episodes for Justice League. But in this point, what ends up happening is you start seeing that Jon Stewart and um, Hawkgirl are officially in an, an actual relationship. Going steady. Going steady. And then, you know, it turns out Hawkgirl is actually a uh, spy for the Thanagarian army. <laughs> Who knew? That's rough, buddy. That's a rough time. So they have this big, uh, this big reveal. They do the last part of that episode, and they destroy the watchtower as part of a, trying to stop this. Now, because of this, they save the day. Hot girls leaves the Justice League, you know, mostly out of shame. Yeah, they recognize that they still need a Justice League, so they rebuild the Justice League and they turn it into Justice League Unlimited. Now that series is what they put on basically any superhero we want, any villain we want, we can just do it now. Let's do this. But they have one big overarching known as the Cadmus arc. And Cadmus, as Rob explained, is sort of the anti-Justice League. Essentially what happens is they saw the Justice Lords footage. The Justice Lords take over the planet. They ran simulation after simulation after simulation after simulation. And Cadmus was designed to basically find a way to stop the Justice League if they ever go rogue. Yeah, I mean, that, that that was the big whole plot of it. Essentially, the Justice League is full of incredibly powerful super people. And the government realized, actually, no, if they go bad, we literally can't do anything to stop them. 
Uh, so we should maybe come up with a way to stop them. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting. Uh, and I don't, I don't think Cadmus was made for the, for unlimited necessarily. I think it was a comics thing first, if I remember correctly. It's a, but... it's a comics thing first with a similar premise, but yeah. the series is the show is actually what threw it into this whole arms race sort of thing. Yeah. And I, I find it really interesting that like, because it's included in unlimited, you not only see it in unlimited, but you kind of start to see it crop up. Cadmus is like a, a very well-known name nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it in young justice. Uh, with Superboy, you see it uh, in some of the Suicide Squad stuff. Yeah, um, like, this is where I first heard of Amanda Waller and mm-hmm. what she can do. Yeah, and her her you know she crosses over uh, this aisle a little bit, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's just really interesting to see this like, you know, how do we stop the people who are supposed to protect us if they're no longer interested in protecting us? Uh, see, that's that's kind of interesting to me because like. The DCAU didn't have a Civil War arc like Marvel did. Mm, yeah. You know, Marvel sort of tackled this same issue. How do you keep super people in check? And they, you know, wound up dividing their their heroes over the issue and you get the Civil War. The DCAU instead, the superheroes all were joining forces for the common goal of protecting the people. Um, but you still have that problem. Who's keeping them in check? Fun fact, both of those events have clones. Yeah, they all have clones on it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Clone of Superman and a clone of Thor being the mm-hmm. two that come to mind for me. Yeah. Batman sneaks into uh, Amanda Waller's house and tells her or to, the Justice League would never turn us on the Earth. And Amanda Waller's response, you guys have a laser in space and it's pointing down. If you ever hit that button, which of us is going to stop it? You have now two organizations that are basically working against each other by trying like in a cold war trying to keep each other in check for one reason or another and the reason why this comes up is because cadmus ends up getting their hands on lex luther because lex luther provides them with money and intelligence and scientific uh, know-how meanwhile he gets access to all of cadmus's research that they've been doing on this on the justice league so they start playing with each other and messing with each other there's an episode where they have captain marvel who's basically just a boy scout and he is invited by Lex Luthor to this low income housing that Lex Luthor built something special underneath it. Superman sees it and it has all the makings of a major bomb underneath these buildings and Captain Marvel and Superman get into a huge fist fight because Superman wants to shut off that bomb. Captain Marvel wants to stop him by the end of it man manages to stop the bomb but because these guys have been fighting so much it's been breaking and destroying all the housing that's around there and so taking a ton of collateral damage yeah and Lex Luthor explains I'm sorry a part of the deal of this is I was experimenting with a um, generator to generate free power for everybody I'm sorry you guys saw it as a bomb and that's on me I have a history of this and he placates to them you find out later he's been trying to run as president as well, and this is part of his political campaign. The Justice League has a character named The Question, who was apparently one of the most annoying people for the for the leaguers to deal with. Yeah, the, the Question, interesting. But The Question follows lines and conspiracy theories, and oh god, he asks questions. He asks questions, and he's a little um, off. Like he'll search through people's trash all the time for and finds random things in there and puts together a weird random conspiracy. And, and he knows the truth behind the the aglets, which are the little 
the little plastic things at the end of your shoelaces, and he knows their true purpose, and it's sinister. Yes. <laughs> As Batman puts it, he's probably the second best detective he knows, besides himself. But he is a little wound up tight. Such a Batman move to be like, yeah, you're second best to me. <laughs> Even the question uh, knows that Batman's better at, at this job than he is. Sure. But, like, it's also a very Batman it's move. It's a very Batman like, move. You're good, but, like... <laughs> I'm better. Yeah. Uh, and so the question starts working through a huge conspiracy and starts figuring it out. Kind of akin to um, Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, when... Um, not Roy. The person who becomes unalive and it starts uh, because he figured out a conspiracy that was going on. Hughes. 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 But yeah, he's basically their version of Hughes. And oh. he figures out what this, um, what's going to happen is that Lex Luthor is going to get into power. And he's going to uh, use that power to assert things. And he's going to start a superhero war because he is going to personally go, we have the abilities and the power to deal with the Justice League, and he'll want the Justice League dead. And so the question solution is, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to choke out Lex Luthor and unalive him. It's an option. And Lex Luthor is wondering why he would do this, and he's like, I'm a crackpot. As far as everyone knows, I'm a conspiracy theorist. The Justice League will survive. Mm. I mean, I I, I really liked that, because essentially the philosophy was, if Superman kills Lex Luthor, which is where this was headed, the Justice Lords happen. Um, but if the question kills Lex Luthor, then you're not losing Superman's morality. You're not losing that key thing that keeps the Justice League together and keeps it from going to the dark side. So the question tries to do that. Lex Luthor takes the question out. As it turns out way earlier in the series, back in... Now keep in mind, these are plot lines that were set up in episodes that are spring from episodes and episodes further back, like Cadmus was trying to figure out how to recreate the Big Bang from uh, from a static shock. Cadmus has hired scientists that, that you saw in Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. There's General Eiling, who's a sold, who's a general who was in the Superman series. They're taking older plot lines that they could just play with and use them here as a big old finale for this. So they're pulling strings from strings upon strings everywhere. And what ends up happening is in one of those episodes, um, you can see it that Brainiac, when he deals with Superman, shoots Lex Luthor in the back. But when he does that, he injects a portion of Brainiac into Lex Luthor. Brainiac can spawn from from a small portion of, of himself, which is why he's a problem to deal with. And now Brainiac has been repairing and making Lex Luthor be- better. And Lex Luthor's permanent goal, give himself superpowers. So he would be have all of his strengths as being the human, being super smart, and all the financial resources, and be a strong Superman. That's bad for us. And yeah. that's bad for everyone else. They put the question away in Cadmus. Uh, Superman ends up going into Cadmus to deal with deal with the stuff with the Huntress, who the Huntress at this point is falling in love with the question. So the Huntress is going down there to to rescue the question. Meanwhile, Superman's down there to give the Huntress backup, and he is taking on all of Cadmus. He is also taking on Captain Adam, who Amanda Waller convinces to be on her side by simply re-enlisting Captain Adam. Yeah, that's right. And he's like, well, I'm part of the government. You now work for me until I say otherwise. And they go into a huge battle, into this huge fight, and they have weapons and such to deal with the superheroes because uh, they've been studying on how to stop Superman specifically since they had to do surgery on Supergirl way back when. And they explain all this in the show. 
and they're more afraid of Superman than any a lot of these guys who see uh, Superman go nuts back at the ending of the of the Superman series know super, uh, how wrathful Superman can get. And so what they do is that after they they rescue the concussion to get to get everyone back up, and they they leave. Cadmus knows that their that their site has been scrubbed, and Cadmus leaves. Meanwhile, that laser that was pointed straight down, Lex Luthor hacks their system and fires that laser, and it wipes out a portion of this town that Cadmus held this dub in. So Luthor is playing everyone's side because he can. And and like all of this is crazy complicated. Like really, when you get down to it, <laughs> it is. I saw all the episodes that you're talking about, and I'm still having trouble keeping up. Um, and that was what made the show great, honestly. Yeah, is that they had these incredibly intricate multi-series spanning plot lines and like you know here is where they all converged and it was it was a mess and it was complicated and i absolutely loved it Mm -hmm. they took elements from every series that they had in the past and put them all together here and then the superheroes eventually will save the day they deal with all the problems with it and they spend like a whole episode i think dealing with the aftermath of all this mess and that's not even the last episode. They still have to deal with Luther, who's gotten away. And they deal with that. And then you get to the final episode that they have for Justice League Unlimited called Epilogue, which is the wrap-up of the all of these series, ending with Batman Beyond. Because this is Terry McGinnis finding out his backstory and tying everything together. Yeah, like, I know there were more stuff after Epilogue, but to me, that really is where the series ended. I think that was the intention, you know, when they wrote it. Mm -hmm. This is, like, our big end to this grand, massive, multi-series project is all, it's coming together right here. It's all coming together. And from what I've learned, it's all coming together. They finished it. They wrapped it up. They sent it out. Yep, we have made one of the greatest endings you could have. And then they get a message from Cartoon Network. We want to 11 more episodes. Heck, damn it. <laughs> and so what they do is that they're like, Dwayne McDuffie, who helped write that whole Cadmus arc and put them all together, is like, you know, Cadmus was super heavy. They dealt with a lot of stuff. How about we have some fun with it? And they just put in the just the Legion of Doom and just there's weird stories that happen to be there. They have one that's called the great brain robbery where Lex Luthor switches his mind with the flash. Oh my gosh. That was... Yeah. And it's literally wrote because the voice actor who plays the flash is also in Smallville playing Lex Luthor. Hmm. And they're like Michael Rosenbaum, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. And th- when they did that, they're like, Hmm, you know, we've never, and apparently the writers just missed that whole point until like season four of justice league i would love it like oh yeah you're in another show aren't you so they decide to have lex luther uh he's obsessed with getting his powers back from brainiac because he lost him in that big fight with the with the justice league with his justice league back in the last season so he tries this big experiment sacrifices the legion of dude in order to try to bring back brainiac the last part anyone knows where brainiac is is that asteroid where dark side and superman fought he goes back there he figures out a way to resurrect uh, Brainiac. However, he kind of misses his target and brings back Darkseid. And when he brings oh. back Darkseid, Darkseid decides, F it, I already died once, and he just decides to go all out on Earth. You know, I got I, I, I gotta be honest, my dude. Mm-hmm. I am having to peruse through a DCAU wiki page about Project <laughs> Cadmus just to keep up with this. 
Yeah, Cadmus is a yeah. It's it's a, a complicated story arc. It is yeah. something else, but it's also kind of getting me really curious about DC lore because it's it's uh, at my core, I'm a Marvel fan. I I, yeah. I really really am, and to sort of acknowledge my own bias, um, and I I wholeheartedly blame Superman for this. I, I I've always <laughs> sort of envisioned DC characters as being very guilty of being like super duper superheroes as though they they're not allowed to have flaws clearly that's not true and i blame superman for that but you know that's me acknowledging my own bias because obviously the writers have found ways to make superman flawed even and that's yeah. and that's good that's that that's very good whereas I, i've always envisioned marvel characters as being like more nuanced and not perfect in any capacity, making mistakes and having to actually learn from human error, whereas DC characters are born perfect. But again, that is probably, in fact, certainly a, a preconceived notion on my end. And you're not the only one, honestly. A lot of people sort of feel that way. And I, and I mean, it to a certain extent, it is true. Um, you know, just on the whole, the DC franchise their their superheroes are less flawed. You know, mm -hmm. they they do have flaws, but they're less flawed than you will find for Marvel characters. And that's just you know, the two different styles of the two different companies. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's, so it's easy for you to think that they have no flaws. It's super easy to to make that connection. Yeah, even if it's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's a it's a generalization, but yeah, I'm also glad we had this conversation. It. Oh sure, I didn't. Have a, I used to be not have a love of any kind of DC canon whatsoever until Batman the Animated Series. And I stuck with the entirety of their animated series line and fell for DC and their heroes and such, mostly because of how their writing is in these series and such. Like, they literally can have some of the most entertaining things from the simplest, uh, from the simplest uh, points. My favorite Christmas episode of any series is Injustice League. Oh, okay. It's literally, and that's just them, uh, like, it's funny because, like, it makes a perfect sense to it. Like, Batman just decides to, uh, doesn't want to deal with Christmas, so he takes over a watch duty for everybody. So he's just watching over on the watchtower. Meanwhile, Superman goes home to Kansas with Martian Manhunter because Martian Manhunter has never experienced what Christmas is like, and he just takes him, like, why don't you be a guest at my house? And uh, Martian Manhunter's always been felt like the outsider in, yeah, you know, because he, he's from another world and there's no one else out there. And Superman just lets him into his house, into his family. And Superman is there as Clark Kent. This is his family home. And it's funny because like, and um, he's like, are you guys okay? I mean, I'm an alien here. Ah, and his mom and dad is like, ah, oh, we've dealt with that before. Don't worry. Let your let your hand down. And it's like the only time he's on Earth, really, that he's just not in even his is in his Martian form because he's that comfortable like being there at the Kent's farm. And also, I love Superman like trying to peek into his presence and his parents having the wherewithal to have lead line <laughs> Christmas wrapping. I, I, check that I out. love. I love Superman's parents for crap like that. Yeah, and that that that's so on brand for for Batman to take watch because that that's just I could see somebody who unfortunately doesn't have parents over Christmas or any siblings for that matter to just sort of you know chill on their own. Even though he had Alfred, you know he he, he could have hung with Alfred. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, he's giving it, but he's letting everybody else have the day off just so that way he can do it. The Flash has a really sweet story where he's trying to get a toy for an orphanage that happened to be out of stock. So he goes, he runs as fast as he can to the main factory that they make the toy and asks them if they can make an extra one for him. Well, so he can give it to this orphanage. And apparently he does that every year. He asks that he goes to an orphanage, asks them what they would like as a gift, and he tries to do his best to go get it. I love that. And um and Hot Girl and uh John and Green Lantern, John Stewart, just take the day off and just play in the snow. <laughs> it is oh, super man. sweet. I'll I'll have to watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, to end this whole thing, uh Dark Side goes into the battle uh, this giant battle this uh, fights off and it has Superman gives his one of the best speeches he has which is uh, called the cardboard box speech and it's something like um, no matter where I am I always have to uh, feel like I'm living in a cardboard box anything I do I have to hold back because somebody somewhere could be accidentally hurt and then he decks out uh, and he decks out dark side and he goes you're different you can take this we get to see a rare opportunity where I get to cut loose. And the and he just goes and just releases all that pent-up rage that he's been having for years. And it's amazing to watch. And the series ends with that. Because they have to team up with the villains to stop Darkseid's army. They finally stop the army. And um, they're like, yeah. But there's always going to be someone else out there. It's like the never-ending fight. And in fact, all of you guys here are villains. Hey, we started, We helped you save the uh, the Earth. Well, we'll give you a five-minute head start. When they do this, uh, they just let it run, and they end the series that way. In fact, um, there used to be a thought that the series is officially over there. But every so often, Bruce Tim and his team does a DCAU movie that happens to be on there. The only two I know that are canonically tied to this is Batman and Harley Quinn in 2017. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I remember being really confused as that came out because after the DCAU sort of ended, um, you know, with 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 the Justice League Unlimited, they moved on to where like they started having these movies of like there it was a new continuity. You know, they were still animated, but they were just they were all movies. They weren't part of any TV series, and they were their own continuity separate from the DCAU. And then Batman and Harley Quinn came out, and I couldn't tell like which series it was part of at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they apparently did it twice. The only two movies I know is the Batman and Harley Quinn. And the other one is justice league versus the fatal five 2019. Basically anytime they can, they try to get the entire voice cast together. So that way they can make a movie and they animate it in the same style, similar style as justice league unlimited and Batman, the anime series and such to make it part of that canon. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Tim is usually the executive producer on it because he can, make those decisions and such um Mm -hmm. as of this recording as far as i know the there is no talk of continuing on the dcau sadly the reason why is because of kevin conroy having passed away recently oh i mean yeah yeah, man he is irreplaceable Mm -hmm. um in fact i believe mark hamill who played the joker refuses to do anything um without Kevin Conroy because that was a back and forth that they had. Yeah. yeah. Can't have the Joker without Batman. That includes their voice actors. Well, they're iconic. Uh, we've been talking about six, uh, five or six different series in this. 
and they've had some of the same voice actors to play the same characters for almost what 15 20 years yeah roughly um, and, and kevin has such a distinct voice like you can't yeah. mimic that you just can't mm-hmm. um and whenever they have that same character being played in there like dark side's played by michael ironside he had a one-shot gig in an episode of superman they kept him on to play Superman, uh, to play Darkseid again for the finale of the entire series. And they had um, Kevin Michael Richardson and so many other voice actors. And so, honestly, one of the things that I appreciate this series more, um, to wrap this up, is they take the time and effort to not only understand their own canon and work within their own canon, and to try to keep that canon by the same writers, voice actors, producers, throughout as much of this as they can. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, that's about it. We've gone through the entirety of Justice League Unlimited and the Justice League series. It's a big series on that, but you would not get disappointed by any part of it. it and I think it's a testament to their work on this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to just get the quick highlighted notes, if you wanted to watch this, start with Justice League. Heck, you can just start with Justice League Unlimited and, and you're good to go. Uh, yeah. I'm probably just going to start with Justice League Unlimited. I, uh, the, the OG Justice League is uh, it's a little, little hard to watch. Oh, so this, <laughs> is, this is a little bit different. So the Justice League that he's talking about is done in the same style as Justice League Unlimited. Oh, 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 okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. This isn't, yeah, this isn't like, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. No, that that is all Super Friends stuff, era of stuff. Oh, gosh, yeah, you're right. That is, that, I'm I'm mixing up my my terminology (laughs) here. You're right. That's fine. Um, Yeah, so Justice League Unlimited is considered the whole, the the name for it. Like, apparently, but it's Justice League, which is, Season one, season two, and then season three is Justice League Unlimited, and season four is Justice League Unlimited. I don't know why they decided to change the name like that. They just did. Well, it was it was because when they started Justice League Unlimited, that was the point when they started bringing in other superheroes. Up until then, it was basically the main seven. That's true. That's true. But yeah, they have huge arcs like the Cadmus arcs or something simple on there. Though that's basically my final thoughts. Anybody else has anything on this? If you're looking for something to watch after you've binge-watched all of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, I cannot recommend Young Justice high enough. It is uh, such a different scope after you've seen all the Justice League it, stuff. Though. But, like, I, I really do feel like the Justice League stuff adds to it, too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, as, as Leo mentioned, you know, the sidekicks aren't really mentioned in Justice League or Justice League Unlimited. Uh, but this does kind of tackle their perspective of not the same problems. Obviously, the series aren't connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I do think it's an interesting viewpoint of like, what does Robin look like without Batman? Um, just speaking of DC animated projects, mm. I, I do think Young Justice is, in my opinion, the next best thing that they've done, maybe outside of Teen Titans, because that's also really good. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, and this and this feels weird to say because the the truth of the matter is, I love the whole DCAU because of its complicated narrative and all its interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. I. I feel like the next best one, though, was Justice League Action. Oh, really? Which did not have complicated stories that were spanning. No, it was, they had basically decided, you know what? 
that was really complicated. Let's just keep things simple. Superheroes punching supervillains. That's Justice League action. It is. And it's fantastic. You know, it's it's a different type of fantastic, but it... Yeah, 100%. Isn't there an episode, I want to say, in The Brave and the Bold, where Mark mm. Hamill gets kit... Or there, is, there's an episode, I want to say it's in Brave and the Bold, I can't remember, but it no, has... No, that, that is Justice League action, where Mark Hamill gets kidnapped by the Joker. Yep. And gets saved by Swamp Thing. And he voices all of those characters. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I only have the budget for one character, for one actor. <laughs> Nailed it. I mean, if you're going to get one actor, Mark Hamill's not a bad choice. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right. But yeah, um, if no one has anything else. Go watch DC's animated stuff. It's good. I'm going to go do it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, it is. And it it's surprising to say this about an animated series. It kind of stands up to the test of time. I think so. It does. Stuff. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, the, the animation can sometimes be a little bit janky. Because mm. this was the 90s, and they were just starting to get, like, out of the animation ghetto. And into, like, actual good quality animation. And sometimes, sometimes the animation wasn't fantastic. That's, you mm-hmm. know. But the show was. All of the shows were. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't matter if you were watching Batman the Animated Series. Static Shock is amazing. You yes. can't praise that enough. Yeah, um, I, t- I take it what I said. Don't watch anything. Go watch Static Shock. Yeah, just going to say, <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead and watch Static Shock and just start reparenting my inner child right now. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. It, it's got yeah, the, the, the show you should watch first is Static Shock, not because it will help you understand the series as a whole, because it's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. DC's live action stuff, eh, hit or miss. Yay. DC's animated stuff, awesome. Static Shock, the best thing they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, Dane, every episode's the best episode. It, it, That's they're how all the best. <laughs> watch the first one, it's the best. After you finish the first one, watch the second one. It's the best. Like I like I complained about all of the guest stars, but you know what? The episode where Shaq shows up, the best. It's the best. Let's- <laughs> Uh, oh, and Justice League shows up in those episodes in Static Shock. Yep, the best. They're they're the best. All right. Okay. With all that being said, and our figures of this series being basically one of the best series ever to exist as Justice League, um, check it out when you get the chance. If you don't, that's fine. I'm not here to judge. Our next episode will be available on June 16th. After that, we are going to be on hiatus for the month of July, working on some other stuff. And then we'll be back again in September. Or, sorry, back again in August. There's a month before that. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that in itself is about it. And thanks for everybody for listening and to a bunch of people talking about Justice League Unlimited and how cool that series is. Happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Gaming Theater Podcast logging out. Bye, everybody. Bye. Take care. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is a drinking game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some money to help with these episodes, you can do so at patreon.com slash gamingtheaterpresents. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. 
Thank you for listening.